What's going on guys and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Mississippi podcast. This will be episode number three where I sit down with Mr. Jeffrey Nunnery, Joey Shepard, and Craig Millett to talk about uh, Nose to Ground 2.0. And if anybody out there is unfamiliar, what uh, Nose to Ground 2.0 is, is a Facebook group uh, full of guys throughout the state of Mississippi. I think it was mentioned 144 or 154 guys. Uh, I can't remember exactly. But uh, nonetheless, it's, it's a group of people uh, throughout the state of Mississippi who offer a free tracking service uh, to people who maybe made a bad shot on a deer or a questionable shot or can't find blood or whatever the case may be. Uh, they donate their time to help uh, people find their deer. As, uh, as you'll hear, we get into this podcast, we, we cover a, a variety of different topics from ranging from A to Z. I really feel like we, we covered this one as best we could, and uh, you'll soon find figure out uh, if you're listening to this. It's, it's about, a, I think, a two, two and three-quarter hour podcast I was on the phone with these guys, and uh, I really appreciate them offering that much time. Uh, with me because I know uh, time is a very valuable thing. It's uh, it's been hectic for me personally here the last few weeks myself between work and and hunt season and and uh, it's it's been a struggle. I've had I've got a, a lot more people uh, on my list here to to do a podcast with, but it just seems hunt season is just obviously not a good time for for anybody for this type of podcast a, a hunting podcast that is. So uh, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on this interview. We'll just kind of get right into it. But uh, before we do, I would like to mention, if anybody's interested, I've got some pretty sweet patches as well as stickers uh, for sale. You can head over to the Instagram page if you're interested in that. It'll be at hunting.mississippi on Instagram. And uh, you can shoot me a message, and I will get that out to you as soon as possible. So... Yeah, without any uh, further ado, I hope everybody enjoys this episode as much as I did because uh, I think this will be one of my favorite favorite ones for a long time to come. So uh, it, after the episode, if anybody would like to reach out to me on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever that may be, uh, let me know what you think about it, You know what you think I could, could do better on and, and what I you know, need improvement on. And also, I'm up for any suggestions for, for future podcasts, if anybody has suggestions on maybe topics or people, for that matter, across the state of Mississippi. Uh, I'm, I'm just now trying to get on, get things going, get on my feet, get some things turning out. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'll stop blabbing and uh, let everybody get into the podcast. So, thanks for watching or listening. Yeah, I guess with, with that being said... Uh, We'll go ahead and get right into it. So uh, I guess first things first, uh, I'd like each of you uh, to give kind of a, a background of where, where you're from, maybe what your day job is, and how you first got involved into, into tracking uh, with the use of dogs, and then maybe how that's progressed as of today. Uh, so Je- Jeffrey, if you would, uh, kind of start us off on that note. Smithfield, Mississippi, and they met County. Uh, my day job, I, I'm an EMT. I work at the Daughters Medical Center out of Brookhaven. As far as the tracking world goes, 
I've been about man pretty much all my life. We've, we've always had a dog that was tracking deer if it needed to be. So, back as far as I can remember, I'm 37 years old now. Back as far as I can remember, um, never done it on quite the scale that, that the tracking world is in now, but uh, always had one that would that would do the job. Until now, until I come across these pages on Facebook, you know. And, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool, so I'd like to be a part of that, you know, and I started, started helping in it, and it grew from there, grew from, you know, my local area right here within 15, 20 minutes of home to getting calls from all over the state and other states too sometimes. And that's kind of how it has evolved into now is these groups of, and, you know, Nose to the Ground 2.0 is, is here today, and, you know, it's a great group, and, absolutely wonderful principles um yeah i never imagined something like that could, would come about just from finding a wounded deer you know it was always just a i guess it was kind of took it took it for granted whenever i was younger because i mean it was always natural for us to have one and i didn't i didn't realize it was such a call for it you know i didn't realize it was so many people that would would need that sort of help on such a larger scale, but there is, and you know, we've uh, these groups are, are awesome. You know, most of the ground two point oh, and um, Joey, how about you, bud? Well, my name's Joey Shepard. I'm from uh, Braxton, Mississippi, little town in Simpson County. My day job. I, I transport cars back and forth from Mississippi to Atlanta to South Louisiana as far as to Houston, Texas, uh, up to Nashville. I shoot horses on the side and I build decks on the side. And my wife says I can never make too much money, so I try to do whatever I can. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be raised in a in in a dog running family, I remember back was five, six, seven years old of walking behind my father running dogs, and and then we had one dog that would track deer. So throughout my life, we've all I've always been involved in that, whether it be coon hunting in my later teens through high school. I mean, I, I had a curfew of midnight, but if I was out coon hunting with a certain couple fellas, my daddy's friends, they didn't matter what time I came in, whether it was school night or not. So, uh, as I got older, as Jeffrey stated, I started, I know, we've always had a bloodhound, but I started, I noticed, I guess around 2014, 2015, a, uh, a tracking group called MBTN and got involved there and just started tracking from there. And, and then it just evolved into the nose to the ground. And here we are in 2G 2.0. Awesome. What about you, Craig? My name's Craig Millett. I'm 41 years old. I live in a little town, Utica, Mississippi, here in Hines County, Claiborne County line. I've hunted all my life, and I'm a little bit on the opposite end of the spectrum of dog hunting. I grew up as a still hunter. I didn't grow up uh, with dogs or dog hunting. 
uh, I had it all around us uh, on the little pieces of properties we we hunted. So, but so we uh, mainly just still hunted. I uh, ended up with a red bone lab mix in my late teens uh, that we rescued, and uh, we used him for tracking. Just kind of stumbled on him, and just started taking him on recovering deer, and he uh, went on into my early twenties over the next decade or so. He uh, he wound up being pretty good, and as I was in the service. In my early 20s firefighter um people just started knowing that i had a tracking dog and would leave me messages at the fire department or at uh at the local stores or through neighbors to get in touch with them that they needed a deer track so i tracked deer off through hines county a little bit claiborne county and up uh north of vicksburg uh, around eagle lake time to time uh his name was bodog and uh he got old and uh ended up getting some cancer and uh, i had to put him down so that was the end of my tracking years in my mid-20s. Uh, so fast forward to now, I'm 41, and about four years ago, my son, my youngest son, shot a uh, what would have been my biggest deer, my 150-class uh, inch uh, nine-point. He shot it out of my lap. And uh, anyhow, nice shot. The deer responded well, but there was no blood at the shot site or within 20 yards. And I decided, you know what, let's just be safe and call somebody. Well, the person I ended up getting in touch with was a guy named Jay Laggett. And uh, Jay Laggett showed up on scene. They made a quick recovery. The deer was only 80 yards away. The bullet, you know, the entrance uh, was in the boiler room. This was no exit, not a lot of blood. <clears throat> but, you know, it's better be safe than sorry. Well, that kind of uh, lit my fire to get back involved in it. And so it happened that uh, I actually had a Christmas present from my wife which was a Belgian Malawop for home protection. He was only seven, eight weeks old at the time. Well, about 10, 11 weeks old, I decided, you know what? I had this drive in me to, to get back involved in track, and let's just see how this, as a dog, responds to some tracks. Well, you know what? When I turned him loose on a few uh, training tracks, deer that I knew were dead, I knew what I had on my hands, and all I had to do is give him the direction and leadership to get him where he needed to be. And now, he is not your normal breed that you see for tracking in this, uh, in our, uh, you know, our way of hunting, it's mostly cur dogs and, uh, pit mixes, but it's only myself and another, and a few other people that run Malawas and, uh, and some GSDs. But I tell you what, you know, I'm really impressed and I couldn't see myself going with another breed seeing what this dog has done for myself. So, uh, present day, I'm just kind of staying local. Uh, I'm still a big time steel hunter um i try to help friends and family out in my little area um it's real competitive amongst handlers these days so i try not to step on any toes i try to make as many friends as i can and stay honest with everybody everybody um other than that man that's that's where i'm at today awesome sounds good Thank, thanks everybody for that intro uh so let's i guess we'll start back with jeff uh Explain what, what Notch the Ground 2-point is and then kind of get into how it was created and maybe why it was created and uh, and then kind of how the group works, how how's it's organized and uh, how somebody would go about seeking for a tractor. Okay. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll back up and tell you what, those, what, what these pages are, period. These pages are pretty much just a... a a board to come and request help to find your deer. Um, 
I was a part of for several years of, of most of the ground, the original most of the ground page. I was an admin and, and uh, took care of that page for quite a while. And, you know, it, it was a little bit of some things came up and some different opinions, different sort of opinions. And um, that group kind of got, got archived and whatnot. So the rest of the admin team just came together and created notes of the ground 2.0 now i can elaborate a little bit more on what it is now we're, we're a 100 percent free service it doesn't cost you a dime to come out for to get anybody to come help you you know we do not charge at all and if somebody wants to tip then that's 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 perfectly fine that's that's between the hunter and the, and the handler um but there's never a price tag putting on anything dealing with us because that's what we set out to be it was a volunteer service um we we cover the entire state. Um, I, I don't have the exact numbers on how many handlers we have now, because to be honest with you, this early in the season, it changes quite regularly. I do know that in the last season of most of the ground, I believe we were we were over 400 recoveries, and that's that's pretty remarkable. That's 400 deer, and and I may be wrong with those numbers, but. But, but it, it may be, I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm on the low end of it. Anyhow, and that's that's pretty remarkable. That many deer would have went to waste if if it wasn't for nose to the ground and getting somebody with a dog and coming to help them. These are, it's a great group of folks. You know, the, the, the admin team is a strong backbone, very close-knit group. We have a great relationship with most of our handlers, too, and, and it's like a big family, you know. I never realized what it could really evolve into until I really started working hard behind the scenes, you know, and, and building those relationships with these, with these, with these guys and gals that work hard behind the scenes. Um, and that, that's how it all came to be, you know. That's how that's how any of these tracking groups were. We're part, pretty much the same. We'll be about the same story of how they got created. You know, someone saw the need and it happened. You know. Um, I can vouch for for this group now that this is this is a very close knit group, stand up folks, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. Absolutely, it seems like it. Uh, could you go into kind of and, and for anybody listening, this is a Facebook group we're talking about, not a forum or anything online. So if if you are on Facebook, just search uh, "Notes the Ground 2.0" and you'll you'll find this group. Uh, but could could you go into kind of could you go into to detail about how the how a group would work if say somebody shoots a deer and they're seeking assistance uh kind of go about how that's organized and and how how y'all go about getting a, a handler sure 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 we'll kind of go over a little scenario here Let, let's say you you uh let's say you need help okay now there's there's certain things we like to ask for first but but to give you the gist of it Whenever you need help, you make a post to this group. This post stays in pending status until one of the admin team contacts you. And we contact you and see where you are and, you know, what, what you got. You know, we're going to ask you a list of questions, you know, as far as what you shoot it with, how far was it, what was the deer's, how was the deer's position, um, what the deer, what was, what was the reaction from the shot, you know, how far have you tracked the deer, well, the blood look, I mean, just all kinds of questions that's just relevant to what we do. 
Um, once that admin team contacts you, we we not, we then we have the entire state of Mississippi is broken down into eight zones. Once we get that information from you, we take that information and put it in one of our zone chats. Whatever you know, if Hines County is at zone five, I believe. Um, anyways, just for it, just say it is zone five. We'll drop it in zone five chat, and then the handlers can kind of talk between themselves and figure out who's going to take the track. And then you make con- then then the handlers themselves will make contact with you, and then that's that's pretty much how it goes. But now I will back up to to say this, you know, um, and and the other guys can can chime in things that they like to, that they like for hunters to do. But myself. There's a few things that, that come into play before you decide whether you need a dog. And a few things that we really like for you to do once you realize you need a dog. Number one, we ask that you don't try not to look over 100 yards. You know, if, if you know if you, you're not sure about the shot, none of us are going to be upset with if you tell us that oh, I, I hit the deer, but I ain't real sure where I hit the deer. You know, I'm not sure, so I, I didn't even go there. That's fine. That's that's an un, that's an untouched track. That means it's a lot. It's, it's not tampered with. It's not contaminated, and it's a lot easier for a dog to work through that. You don't have to work through five people walking around in the woods looking for the deer for an hour first. So, the hundred yard rule. I use a hundred yard rule. If anything changes in your blood trail within a hundred yards, if it starts to your blood starts to get skippy, you start losing blood or the blood changes color find bone fragments. Bone fragments means get a dog ASAP, get out of there. You know, whatever you determine what kind of blood you have, you know, if it's liver, guts, or, or whatever, you know, if anything changes between that 100 yards, or if you do not find the deer within the 100 yards, then back out. Mark your last blood, back out, and call it happy. Sometimes wait times will vary as far as what shot is what sometimes, but that, that's between the hunter and the handler there. But that's that's things that we like to ask, you know, as far as getting property permission to cross property lines because not all deer go 150 yards and die, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. sometimes. And then these other guys, they'll be able to tell you the same thing that we've all been on tracks for miles and miles before the deer expired, you know. So, and without proper permission, that, that's that's some things. That's some things that we ask that we ask that the, that the hunter. Go ahead and get that ball on too. Okay. Joe, 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 you want to add to that? Uh, the only thing I'd like to add back to is that uh, he asked how many handlers we have. We have we have current right now 144 handlers, and uh, and that could be more than that because that's, we have 154 on our handler page. But I'm sure that's wives, sons, and uh, and friends that that some handlers let other guys use their dogs while they're out of town. Our recovery rate for last year was, uh, we recovered 548 deer out of 774, which is 71% for last wow. season. And our, our numbers are, they we haven't really quite kept up with our numbers this year because of what we had going on with, with the split of the group and everything, and but we have, I think we got 
19 out of 30 this year so far, and that's and that hasn't really been really calculated to be correct. But that's just what we got written down so far this season. Okay, I got you. Uh, I guess to, to back up just a little bit, uh, Joey, could you explain sort of how the group would, would go about taking in these handlers and uh, using them? Is there any sort of uh, process y'all go through or anything that y'all y'all make sure of before y'all allow a handler to, to be a part of Nose to the Ground 2.0? Right. It sure will. It's, it's a little process that we go through. Um, either I, Jeffrey, or, or Brad Mason, or really anybody available that, that wants to call and vet a, a new person that's called and and uh, put forth some interest in becoming a handler for us, we we kind of go through with them and ask about the dog. How old you know? How old is the dog? How many tracks they've been on? What have they recovered? I mean, the type of uh, the type of dog they think they have, and then we we really like for them to tag along with our with our more experienced handlers for five to 10 tracks, just not, not only to get the experience of going out and meeting the hunters and what to ask these hunters and, and uh, just get the knowledge of, you know, what you need when you go out there instead of getting out of your truck and walk back there and, un, and un, let your tailgate down and throw a, throw a collar on a dog and say, Hey, well, where's it at? You know, uh, I'm, every handler is different. I've I've been had the privilege of going with several of our handlers, and each one is different. I mean, uh, just say for instance, Craig. Craig has a big speech that he gives to his his hunters, and and I and I'm not that type of big speech guy, but Craig really gets it out there of what I really need to do. You know, he he likes them to be quiet. Uh, only two people following, you know, with their group on on the track. You know, you don't want a group of ten of the deer camp guys behind you following y'all out there making all kinds of noise and stuff. That that deters your dog, and it, you know. But each, like I say, each handler is different. I went with some other people, some other handlers, to get there, and uh, it's totally it's total chaos. And you're thinking, oh my god, what have we got into? But back to we we try to vet the new guys and let them go on with experienced handlers and let them learn what's going on or try to establish hey this is what i need to do or this is what i don't need to do you know to either help them or correct their problems that they're already having and then after that i mean once we get some good good reports on that that handler's got a his dog's coming along good and he's got we do ask them to go on, you know, post all their DCs, which is called direct calls. I mean, post every of them you can. I mean, even if it's just training tracks for your dog that your friends are in your community or neighborhood, you know, help you out on, you know, just go on as many as you can. So, you know, that helps establish that, hey, you are out there trying to work your dog. You are out there trying to make your dog better and get used to every call. Every call is different. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Craig, uh, we'll throw one at you. Uh, I've noticed it seems like there's a, a lot of breeds that are used for this, the tracking of deer, ranging from, you know, uh, dachshunds to Heinz 57s, is what I refer to as mutts. 
what would be your breed of choice uh, for tracking a dog if you could only choose one and why? And and Jeffrey and Joey, you, you can add on as well after Craig if you'd like. Yeah, uh, so let, let me ask this question. We, are you wanting to know if I only had, I could only choose one dog? If you could only choose, if you can only choose one breed of dog, what which one would it be and why? One breed of dog out of everything that I've seen through my uh, uh, my co handlers groups and everything. One breed of dog, you know, I'm kind of biased here, you know. That's and okay. I'm the ones. You know, so, but if I had to suggest to somebody, I'll, I'll, I'll move this. I'll say this. If me, ask me what breed they should go with. Don't tell them just about any cur dog. Any cur dog that has a good uh, bloodline of high-driven prey drive. Prey drive is, is just uh, the initiative to work, to want to bite, to be gritty. Uh, you know, you want an aggressive dog, but you don't want an unsocial dog. Follow me? Now, me personally, having ran a Malawah, um, me personally, for myself, I can't see myself getting away from the Malawah breed for myself or a working dog. But for, to suggest to somebody else, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Joey and uh, Jeffrey and uh, most of the handlers out there agree, uh, most of your cur line uh, dogs are going to be the way to go. Okay, Jeffrey, Joey, would, would you have anything to add to that? I'll let Jeffrey go first. Well, um, I do. You know, I, like like we're all biased. You know, we all we're all three of us have different breeds of dogs. So, uh, I'll tell you my, my personal preference. I, I love a lab. I, I run Silver Lab. He's my, my, my he's my main dog. But I've also got a Catahoula Cur and I've got a Bulldog. <laughs> so, but one one dog, if I had to pick, I, I just like the demeanor of a lamb. You know. I just I like a lab, but to for just a second I'd like to touch something else, and then we'll, we'll let Joey answer that. I personally don't think there's not one one perfect perfect breed. Um, that's right. That's going to be very person, very person, person. You know, some people, you know, some people may not be able to get out and chase behind a high octane dog, as I like to call them. You know, they may not be able to keep up. They may not be. In, they might be in enough shape to. Which or they have to, you know. Um, so so maybe those those doctors or something like that would be a better option for somebody like that. But anyways, I I, I won't jump too far ahead. I'll let Joey answer. But my 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 go-to breed is a lab. And that's a good choice. That's a good choice. My personal opinion, I like the cur dogs and the black mouth curs. That's what I I run. I've I've got. I've got two black mouth curves and two Catahoula curves, three Catahoula curves. Um, but I have had bloodhounds. I've had black and tan. And I've tried the uh, the healers. Uh, but my personal preference goes back to that gamey dog all around. Most of them you can pet and are friendly. <laughs> I do have one that's, that's kind of... That's, that we call rowdy, and it just depends on what type what type of mood he wakes up in. If he wants to bite me or bite anybody else, uh, but he lives my, up to my preference is the yeah, my preference is the cur dog. Okay, I got you. Uh, I guess uh, following that, 
What would be some, some good traits to look for in a dog that may tell you if they would make a good tracking dog or not? Uh, I know uh, y'all touched on a few of those. Could you, could you uh, go over a couple of different ones that maybe why the dog of choice you, cho you chose, uh, what exactly it is that they, they have that, that makes them such a good tracking dog? Well, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and take this right quick. Um, so, and that's, it's really going to come on to the handler and who, what community he's really serving, man. Um, and that's really, that's really case sensitive. For example, my dog, I do have an aggressive, very, very high driven dog. And uh, when I say aggressive, that's high prey drive. Um, I don't like my hunters to come pet my dog at my truck because he's also used for home protection. So my dog has multiple jobs. But uh, so far, socializing with other dogs, he's fine unless it's over a deer. But I would not be the one to go to one of these uh, charity hunts like Hope Outdoors where you have a, uh, a community of hunters and, uh, you know, a lot of people – well, a lot of commotion and a lot, just a real noisy atmosphere. I'm not the guy for that. So you'd want a more passive dog, a more socially friendly dog. So in terms of just tracking, let's just say that erase all the outside influence, just the term of tracking. You'd want an open dog, a dog that can be trained for basic obedience. He's got to have some intelligence. I think we all agree there. Regardless of the breed, you got to have – a dog that you can tone train for many reasons, for the dog's safety and for the respect of uh, neighboring properties as well. Um, and we can touch on that later on. But you need uh, the dog needs to be, you know, um, intelligent enough for basic obedience and to be tone trained. Also, with that, the dog has to have, for me personally, tracks in mind, he's got to have some grittiness. He's got to be happy, prey-driven. He's got to want to... To at least bay or bite, in my opinion, because you have, uh, you know, not to get into this gray area too much, uh, you do have situations where you need that greediness to uh, to help uh, secure a fatally wounded deer, and uh, and that's the most ethical thing to do um, instead of it suffering. So you don't want a dog that's so passive that. You know, that's not going to go up there and, and work. So, so you, there's a happy medium there. You want the dog to do something other than just find the deer. You you want them to. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yes. You want it. You want. You're going to. I'm just going to use elementary terms here. Uh, you're going to want the dog to be greedy or be aggressive towards the animal it's actually tracking. Uh, it's got to stand its ground. It's got to learn. It's got to understand how to obey the animal, how to keep the animal secure or contained to an area or or at least attempt to. Okay, I got you. Which is, which is really the definition of obey. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll go back to you, Jeff. Uh what are some different ways uh, to reward a dog after a successful track? And why would it be important for them to receive some sort of a, a reward after finding a deer? Well, um, that's, that's a good question. That's a really good question. My dog, I'm, I'm a forgetful fella. I'm going to be honest with you. I will forget. I started 
early with, with my lab, Sam, you know, I would carry some treats along or something like that, but I would forget them. So the main thing that I reward him is with heavy petting. You know, I love on him. I, when he finds that deer, you know, I pump him up. I tell him, good boy, I love him. I pat him up, you know. And, and he, you know, he's a lab. I ain't never seen many lads that didn't, didn't love that. Oh yeah. So that, that's that's his reward, and and the, and the importance of that is that puts it back in the dog's mind. And he he really liked what I did, so so let's do that again. I mean, I'm gonna do that again. You know, it's just like a kid. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty much just like a kid. You know, you tell a kid if he makes a good, if he hits a baseball good. You know, hey, he's really good, buddy. You know, that makes that kid want to go back and do that again. It makes him want to get better. It's, it's kind of the same way with a dog, you know. You reward your dog, whatever your reward may be. I mean, some folks, I know, give them, they'll get a dog a moon pie or something like that, you know. Well, just whatever that dog loves, you know. Some people are like, I've I got a friend of mine, his dog's got a, a tennis ball that squeaks. That dog loves that tennis ball for whatever reason. And Derek finds a deer, you throw that dog that ball, and she, it just happens she can be, you know. Okay, so it's very specific, uh, depending on on the dog. Then even depending on their, I guess their. Absolutely, whatever. You, I, I say from starting from an early age, if you know, say if you've got that dog from a puppy, you know, be something you want to be consistent with, so that they know, like, if I do this right, I'm going to get this. You know, I mean, that's just an incentive to do a better job. Right, so basically the same thing as, as telling the kid if you make all A's, I'll you know do this or do that. Basically the same thing. Well, that's right. You make all A's, make all A's will get you a four wheeler this summer. You know, so, you know, it's, it's an incentive. I got you. Well, that makes sense. So uh, we'll go to uh, to Joey. So what is it that these dogs are actually tracking for people who aren't quite familiar with it? Because I've heard several different things. And uh, hearing them being referred to as blood dogs has always confused me growing up because if, if there's blood, it should be easy enough to, to track a deer without the use of a dog is, you know, the way I would think. Uh, but it seems like the first thing people say when they can't find or they run out of blood is uh, get, a, get a dog. get a. So why don't you uh, ex- explain what it is that they're actually tracking, Joey? All right. What their eyes are trained to track on is when a deer is wounded, he puts out a scent. And Jeffrey, you may have to y'all may have to tell me what this gland is because I just done, done went blank. Um, the inter- inter- we don't we don't need the yeah it's the inner digital gland and from it allows the deer that is is wounded put the scent down for the dogs to track. So they don't need the blood. Otherwise, you wouldn't need a dog, and that helps. Like if that deer's in with another group of deer, the dog's going to decipher which track. You've had three deer run off in the same direction. The dogs can determine, and you don't. There's no blood. The dogs can determine which direction to go to find that wounded deer. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So, so where is this gland located at? in his foot in the hoof okay yes yeah, yeah. yeah, so between the, between the you know that's where it's at it's, it's, 
Okay, well, I guess actually that why that would make it easier than if it's if it's on the hoof and it's right there by the ground. Uh, so that makes sense. So we'll go to Craig. Uh, what are some similarities and, and differences between dogs that that people run for deer versus tracking dogs? Because because I imagine they have to have some sort of of common ways to locate deer, but I could also see why they would ways that they would differ. So could you kind of run through that? Yeah, so I can give you my best opinion. Uh, again, you know, going on my history, I was not a deer dog runner or anything like that. So, uh, but I have. We'll, we'll all have an opinion on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I'll give you my opinion. For me, a good vetted dog. Again, Joey touched on. There's a fair amount that this deer um, secretes. So let's kind of think of the Discovery Channel, right? We've all watched the Discovery Channel. We've watched these lions and hyenas get downwind of, uh, say, uh, a group of uh, gazelle. One of them gives birth or one of them's out there with a broken leg. They're giving off a pheromone of illness, sickness, or injury, or whatever it is that the uh, that the, these uh these lions or hyenas are capitalizing on. Ultimately, they're going to zero in on that on that pheromone that's being secreted, right? So basically, in my opinion, these tracking dogs or recovery dogs that we're using on the pages, that's what they are zeroed in on, the pheromone, as Joey touched on. Versus tracking, uh, excuse me, a, a deer running dog, uh, or a group of them, just say you got walkers or whatnot, they're trained just to push deer, right, or to, uh, to uh, like a rabbit dog. They, after a fresh rain, and it seems to be the best time when I was growing up to, to run rabbit dogs, they just smell the scent a little bit better. They can get them up, get on them versus dry weather. But uh, deer, same way, in my opinion. Uh, deer dogs are just there to locate the game animal and to push them, you know, to to flush them out of their habitat. So, and I'm sure Joey and uh, Jeffrey, they're more knowledgeable with the deer dogs, so they'll have a better opinion than myself. Okay, we'll go to, to Jeffrey then, and then and then Joey. Well, the the biggest to me it's it's almost no similarity, and that's that, that that's a that's a very big pet peeve of mine. Um. The difference is, is it like, like Craig said, and like, like you and I talked about the other day, I mentioned that, you know, these these dogs do key in on that 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 pheromone that the that the, that the, that the uh, deer puts out of the individual brand, the, the, just the I'm hurt spell, you know, that's what I call it. Um, it. Just like any predator in the woods, you know, they they zero in on the weakest link, and that's exactly what we're tracking is the weakest link smell, and the difference being there is we are out to track a specific deer. We, we're not out to, we can, I've had deer dogs most of my life. So I'm there, and I know for a fact, all we're looking for there is the smell of a deer. But a deer, it doesn't matter which deer, a deer. Now, to backing up, going back to the, like I said about the, about the, the tracking dogs, is we're, 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 animal, we're animal specific, which is not necessarily Honestly, any of these dogs would track any animal that puts that scent out. It doesn't have to be just a deer. You know, these are these are tracking dogs. These are not just deer tracking dogs. Right. You know, they would they would track them. They would track 
and I'm sure that other guys would agree with me, any, any animal that would put out that scene, our dogs will track it. So that's, that, to me, is the biggest difference, is, a, is, is what we do is a very specific job that we give the dog versus let's, let's chase them out and flush them out as, as crazy. Okay, and, and that's, go ahead. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of times, due to people not being educated in the fact that we get, we get kind of lumped in there with those, with the deer dog people, you know, which, you know, I don't, I don't have anything against any of it as long as, you, as long as you're doing it ethically and doing it the right way and not bothering anybody. You know, I think you should be able to do what you want to do. Um, you know, if that makes any sense, and you do it illegally, you know, I think that should be fine. But, but to classify a duck with the flamingo is, you know, a little bit different to me. It's 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 just a lack of a lack of education in the fact of what we do, as far as being tracking a specific animal. That's the that's that that's the the best that I can put it. Right, and that's what that's one reason I wanted to ask this this question in specific because, like you said, a, a lot of people associate with the two to be in the same category when in fact uh, deer dogs, like you said, are just after deer in general, nothing specific about it. Whereas a tracking dog, they're out there for a specific reason, uh, tracking a specific animal. So it's not like you're out there to, to jump every deer in the woods. You're out there to find a deer that, that's been wounded and uh, recover it. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, it's been, been many times that we've tracked right by deer bedded down. Or, or, you know, we pull up to a shop site that the eight deer flush out of there and may take just a minute, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lie out on the right deer. Absolutely. So, Joey, would, would you have anything to add to that, or is that, you think, pretty pretty well wrapped up? I, I think he, they, they, y'all covered, he covered it pretty well. Um, it, we're out there to recover one certain animal, not to run that herd of deer as a deer dogs would do to get them stirred up in the woods to so the hunters will get to see a little movement and kill a deer uh we're, we're called out there to track one wounded deer and like jeffrey said been many nights out on the track you're walking and your headlight catches some eyes and 10 yards over there is a doe and two babies laying down and you you're walking right by them and just hoping that you know, they don't jump up and run off in front of your dogs and try to deter that a little bit. But even if they did go off on that, they wouldn't go far. They they understand that that's not what we're after. They come right back, hop back on that that wounded deer track, and take off. Absolutely. And for anybody listening, I, I'm not at all downing anybody who runs dogs or hunts with the use of dogs. I'm just trying to... Uh, put this information out there for people that may have uh, strong opinions about it because I, I personally do not. Uh, I've, I've found myself on public land several times where I can't say I'm just uh, overwhelmed with joy that somebody says hunt dog, whether it be squirrel, uh, deer, or hog dog, comes in and, and running up on me. And I've even even been in, on private land and had that happen to me. Uh, which isn't isn't the best feeling in the world, but I just wanted to throw that out there for, for anybody that uh, would think I was taking a shot at anybody who runs dogs. 
So with oh, that, absolutely, that goes with anything. That that, that 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 can go along with just somebody, or it doesn't have to be with a bow. You know, anything can mess on a. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Absolutely. So uh, with that, I guess we'll go to another question. Uh, so Jeffrey, how how does a handler know if a dog is on the right track or not? If there's no blood to go by and the hunter isn't sure of a, of a direction that the deer went, uh, I'm guessing you, you would just have to trust the dog on that and, and know what the dog is telling you. Uh, and the reason I ask is I'm, I'm sure y'all have been on several tracks where you just so happen to, to jump a deer on a track. Uh, so how, how does that dog know not to go after that specific deer? Uh, if he's on a track that that deer just happens to be on. Well, again, that goes back to the, the, the interdigital gland. You know, as long as that deer's putting up that scent, my dog's going to track it. And, and this is the hardest part of tracking is it's, it's nothing to do with the dog. The dog knows way more about this than we know. The hardest part about it is trusting the dog and listening to the dog and not calling him back when you don't see blood in 50 yards. Right. That's, that is the hardest part, especially on those tracks that doesn't have any blood. You know, it's, it's trusting, you know, putting your faith in your dog. And, and that, goes, that goes with experience, you know. Now, you know, I, I'm not going to second guess. I, I say that. Well, I'll second guess a dog every once in a while. But I'm a lot less out now to, to second guess my dog and call him off the track than if I'm not, I'm not certain that I'm not certain enough. Now, have my dogs ever run the wrong deer? They have. I can't tell you why. Maybe the deer got up in front of them, but they they saw the deer while it was tracking, and you know, here we go. But they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they ain't gonna pull it through in that long. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna come off of him. I, I, I don't even have to him off of it. I don't have to I don't have to break them from it. They kind of figure that out because they're like, well, this is not the right thing. Okay. I got you. Uh Joey or Craig, would you have anything to add to that? No, I think covered it I don't good, you know. He 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 did. He covered that real well. Okay. And I asked this question specific because I'm I'm not sure say whether a wounded deer or a stressed deer who happen, say they run the same trail and one goes one way and one goes the other. I wasn't sure if that, if it's if a deer that's stressed out would put off that same scent as, as a deer that's been shot or not. Yeah. I'd like to touch on that a little bit. That's uh <laughs> that's actually a pretty common thing. Well, I wouldn't say common thing, but it does happen. And, it's gonna if it hadn't happened to a handler it's gonna happen to you sooner or later but uh we've gone on plenty um where um say um somebody hunted a food plot the day before they killed a deer out of it got their deer out of it and then the next day somebody needs a track gun on another deer out of that same food plot and it went through a broad bottom and a crisscross trail from a deer that was shot previously you know that that does happen man um it does, and um, you know, and, and it's really it comes down to this, and I'll say this: it really comes down to the handler. Your dog, the dog's only gonna be as good as the handler will allow him to be, okay? And as the handlers or the dog owners, 
it's up to us to understand our dog's limitations and be able to read this dog's body language if he's having problems. And I know with our group, Nose of Ground 2.0, I know for a fact, I can say, well, 110%, if one of our handlers says, hey, I'm not liking my dog's body language, uh, there, there's another deer here shot, or for whatever the scenario be, I guarantee you that we're going to get that guy the proper resources there to give that hunter the uh, the, 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 the highest percentage of recovering that deer. Because it does happen. And, uh, you know, it's happened to me. I know it's happened to others. You know, I mean, I can, I can, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm having visuals of this happening over the last few years for many handlers. And um, I can actually get real specific, but I'm not. But it's going to, you know, um, it, it's one of those things that has to be worked out. And it comes down to the handler knowing when to make a change and call for help. Okay. Yeah, and, 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 and you, you mentioned the body language of the dog, Greg, and that's some really that's one thing that I was I had in my mind to mention when he asked that question, and I didn't. It's about spending each, that, that relationship you build with that dog and the time you spend with that dog, you learn to read that dog about what that dog's doing. You know, whether it even be, you know, I, I can tell you whether mine's on track a lot of times without even looking at him. I'm just looking at my handheld, you know, my garment, that's right. whether, whether he's on track or not. You know, whether we just whether you're searching or, we, or are we hunting or are we tracking, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's right. Okay. And I think that's a, that's a good segue. And, uh, how, how would a handler know, say when to pull off of track? If, and if you can give a scenario or two, uh, of, of okay. a situation where that's happened. Yeah, I, I can actually give one right now. Um, I can give, I'm not going to give names, of course, but uh, I had two hunter, uh, hunters actually in a food plot last year, um, two bow hunters, and uh, there was two deer shots. And um, anyways, uh, they called me up, and uh, there was a very limited supply of handlers at that moment, and they said they needed two deer traps. And uh, I was very, very verbal knowing my dog around uh, the gate, and I explained, I said, listen, I said, if these deer cross paths, um, my dog is, once he finds one, if they ran close together, he's probably going to shut down feeling that mission is accomplished. He has done his job. He's done. Well, that was the worst case scenario. And upon arrival on the scene, um, that's exactly what happened. The deer crossed paths. I recovered one of the deer. The other deer kind of took a 90 off the same path. Uh, we got that deer out of there. And... I decided, uh, because of the limited amount of resources at the moment, I just I told the rest of the team, I said, uh, I'm going to probably push for about 100 yards. If my dog still doesn't show any interest and feels like his job's done, I'm pulling off of it so the next handler can come in behind me. I don't want to stomp up the ground and, uh, you know, anticipate that pheromone, which we've talked about previously, and that's why we're so adamant about hunters not to grid search, because, again, they're tracking pheromones. And um, these hunters, grid searching, have no idea that they're actually destroying the track and killing their percentage of the recovery. So moving on from that, at that point, uh, I pushed my dog, Hank, about 100 yards past down the line, which we have blood on the ground. But even though I had blood, I still wasn't going to keep pushing my deer because, again, I'm going to say something, and I keep saying this over and over again. I've been in this world long enough to know that there's nothing written in stone. 
even though it may line up and look real good, you still, there's nothing written in stone. I didn't like my dog's body language. He showed no interest in it, even though I was really pushing him. And his mind mission was accomplished. Last thing I wanted him to do was get on this second deer and him not be interested, which was highly unlikely, but I just did not want to roll the dice. And I felt, in my personal opinion, knowing my dog, it was best to pull him out of there and get a fresh handler and a fresh dog in there uh, with a new job on the plate. So that's my experience and my, well, my last or most present experience, which I've had more before that, but that is the uh, most streamlined way I can, I can put it out there for myself. Awesome answer. Would anybody have yeah. anything to add to that? I don't. Jeffrey, you yeah. got anything? I do, I do. Um, you know, we all want to get get our. We all want to get the target that we're after. Okay, we all want to finish the job when we're started. But sometimes, these sometimes, there comes a time where we're on a track and these deer are just they're not hurt bad enough to stop. Or they're not hurt bad enough for us to to dispatch the deer. If I come and for whatever reason the buck wants to stop and fight. And our dogs do bay the deer up, and and I get to the bay, and, and I can't tell anything's wrong with that deer. I'm gonna fall off, you know, and, that, and that's that's the that's the ethical thing to do because we're not the hunters; we're just helping the hunter recover the deer. Right. You know, if if that deer is gonna die, is one thing. You know, and, and hey, I'm not judging jury. I I don't say what deer is gonna die, what's not. I just to the to the to the best of my knowledge, I try to put all that into consideration and and do what I think is the best from there. And what are what are a couple of those signs that would that would tell you that this may not be a, a deer worth worth going after? What I know that as you said that would come with experience, but what could be some of those uh telltale signs that, that would let you know as a handler? Well if if the, the deer you on a track and and you've been you've been a mile already and that deer hadn't laid down. You know, you don't find any bed spots, or I'll even back up as far as at the shot center. If you see just just some hair or something like that, and a speck or two of blood, you know, you can start you can start forming your opinion of where you think that dog that deer is hit at as you go. And like I said, you, you, on further in the track, you know, the deer had laid down in a mile, and you're pushing two miles, and you know. That's, that's a deer that you can just pull off of most of the time because that deer, that deer hasn't stopped yet. You're probably not going to stop for quite a while. And that's, you know, that's just a smart thing to do instead of pushing a deer out of the country. Let's just back off and hopefully he comes back. And I would bet in the high 90%, in the high 90s percentage wise, that those deer wind up coming back. Excellent answer. So what are, what are some ways, I know we mentioned this a couple of times, uh, but could you give a, a couple of uh, examples of, of what are some ways that a, a hunter could harm the track? I know we've mentioned uh, grid searching before and uh, walking the actual track. So what, what would be some other ways that, that hunters harm tracks for a dog? I think we could all probably answer some of that. Joe, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start with it. Um, the worst thing is calling all your buddies 
and five or six of y'all get out there and each one of y'all step right in the shot site, follow the trail to the woods, whether it be 10, 15 yards, this is where he went, and then y'all all split out and the seven or eight different fingers going, you know, hey, we're going to spread out 50 yards and walk through here. So you've just, you've just walked through the bud, the deer's track, and then you split it up going six or seven different ways. That's the worst, to me, that's about the worst thing you can do. Um, secondly, would put yeah, like your neighbor's that. dog on it who hasn't been... Yeah trained to go track a wounded deer and then the rest i'll let you i'll let you to kind of yeah. get a little bit in on it yeah yeah so I, so the worst thing the question was is correct me if i'm wrong tanner is what's the worst thing to do other than track stomping up the track correct yeah what, what are some things that hunters do to harm the track yeah, to do the harm track, listen to social media tips. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst thing to do outside of this. That's that's an answer going to any to, question. Yeah, exactly. Just going online and taking pictures of the blood and listening to the community say, "Oh, that deer's dead. Go get go get your deer." That's the second worst thing to do is, is listen uh, to that stuff. Uh, just seriously, if your deer is not visible within 100 yards. I don't care how good that blood is. We just stated how many handlers we have in our one group. There's several other groups throughout Mississippi. There is more than enough handlers. I'm telling you right now, nobody, no hunter in the state of Mississippi is going to bother any of us if your deer, if your deer is dead 20 yards past the 100-yard mark, you stop looking. I promise you. All that does is boost confidence of our dogs. It makes our dogs want to work. He feels good. Don't you feel good when you do a good job at your job or you're praised by your boss? Doesn't it make you give you the initiative to come back the next day and do good? Absolutely. That's exactly what those kind of tracks do for our dogs. Exactly. It's good leadership. So just don't stomp them up, you know, and, and, and listen to us. Because I'm going to tell you something, and I'll say this. I have grown up in the woods as Joey and uh, Jeffrey and a lot of people, a lot of these handlers, and what separates a lot of these handlers from normal hunters is, and, I, and, they'll, and I'm sure they'll agree, I've tracked and I've killed hundreds of deer throughout my life, all right? I consider myself above average woodsman. Uh, I live off my land that I live on. Um, I feed my family with everything I kill. That's just the way I've been all my life. I'm 41 years old and done this for a long time. That being said, I thought I knew about deer tracking and everything. Um, even with my red blood, I mean, my red bone, my lab mix, I tracked with, I only leash tracked with him and with a bell. I didn't have GPS then. I didn't have all this technology. But i tell you what this technology does. This technology has taught me so much more about deer behavior after being shot. Some of this stuff was shocking to me over the past four years. This, these GPS units, these dogs, we have plugged up to our dogs and trained with our dogs. It tells us so much about deer behavior after being shot. And I can tell you, when you go from just tracking your buddy's deer locally at the deer camp or your own deer, your kid's deer, your brother's sister, whoever's deer, to go to running some of these handlers, I'm telling you, run 100, 200 tracks a year, 
uh, maybe 200 is real pushing it, but I know several that close in on 100 sacks a year. And when you go to those kind of numbers, double, triple, quadruple, the numbers that you normally do by tracking for the community, that teaches you experience, and that shows you, it teaches you so much more about deer behavior after the shot. So when I, if you want to listen to somebody about recovering your deer, uh, don't listen to somebody that makes a post on social media or your, or or, uh, or Joe Bob at the uh, fire pit at your deer camp that's 150, 60 years, but didn't track deer um, on the ratio that a lot of these vetted hunter, uh, handlers do. These handlers, I can take a five-year vetted handler, and I promise you, he, in my opinion, my personal opinion, a five-year vetted handler that tracks these deer with their dogs will have a higher uh, experience than a 50-, 60-year-old vetted hunter of the woods that's never done this thing you know it, it's just there's a big difference there and when you're doing it so often it's just like anything you're gonna get better at it and you're gonna be more educated with it but uh you know we can elaborate on that all night long and people can disagree with me but this is the thing about it if you hadn't done both you really haven't earned an opinion that's a great answer that's what i got to say about it. and i i i didn't want to cut you off but the you mentioned something about uh tracking the deer uh with the gps and i i'm gonna revisit that later uh because that that's something I'd, I'd really like to dive into uh but i guess to, to move things along to, to progress a little bit uh let's get into now some things that, that hunters can do to help the trap for a handler and a dog go ahead you want to go first Jeffrey? sure i, I would stay off of it absolutely i mean you know that's one of the main things to me is but trying to remember everything that happened and I know that's a that's a really tough thing to, to do sometimes whenever we get buck fever or whatnot but after the after the stop you know when that deer's running off you know what the deer do you know remembering that reaction you know I, I know myself as several times like shoot I couldn't tell you what the deer done but trying your best to remember the reaction to that, what that deer did. Did it buck? Did that deer just just take out of there? Did that deer kind of hunch up and, and just kind of tip out of there? What, what happened, you know? What, what did it sound? If you're hunting, you're bow hunting, what, what was the sound? Was it a loud whack? Or did it sound like you, you hit a drum or something? You know, all the little details like that before your feet ever hit the ground are good things to know. And then... And then you move on to your shot site. You know, I always remember where your deer went. I always keep a mental picture of which direction the deer went, um, which so, and, and which is another thing that's really hard to do sometimes. I mean, I know these guys can attest to this. About 50% of the time, the hunter's wrong about which direction the deer went. <laughs> but, <laughs> that, that, that absolutely. A lot. <laughs> but, I'm sure. Anyhow, um, just to go to... to now we we we're at the shot site, you know. We're gonna examine. I, I I always tell them. I said, you know, mark where that deer was standing. I want to know. I, I like to start my dog at the shot site, unless unless the hunter, God God forbid, has tracked it 500 yards, you know, across three creeks of river and over the hollow through the woods, you know. 
I'm going to try to start my dog at the shot site every time. So I want the shot site marked. And and like I said, that 100-yard rule. But, but one thing that I, I'd like to add is the best thing and the best practice that you can use when you're tracking the deer, because you might need a dog, is to track alongside the blood trail. Because like Joey said, you track it in it, and then all, all of a sudden you lose blood. What you going to do? You're going to start meandering back and forth. You know, and if you got your buddies helping you, you got four or five of y'all. You've not only, now you've got the real track and five others. But the dog, once you do decide you're going to call a dog, but the dog has to work through before he can get to the real deal. Absolutely. That, that's, that's one true. reason. That's one reason I, I wanted to ask those two questions was, was just to, to get it out there for people. Because I know for a lot of people, including myself uh, in the past, and even even friends and you know fellow hunters, is it seems like the very last resort is to call a dog. I mean, people will search for hours upon hours, grid searching and walking back and forth, and you know, it, they really will. and it it may take five hours to track a two hundred yard blood trail, whereas a dog may find the deer within thirty minutes from start to finish. So. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because well, I, I, absolutely, I, I've I've had those tracks to where last year, just just for instance, I, I, this guy had tracked this deer for nine hours. Now the deer went; he tracked it for about 500 yards. All right, I started to shot site. You know, I knew where he last where he stopped tracking that, but I wanted to start the shot site. Five minutes we had to do. The deer went another 250 yards past that. In five minutes, we had to do. Absolutely, and it, and that could have taken a lot longer had had they uh, messed it up. I'm sure by grid searching and whatnot. Oh, absolutely, and, you know, and that's and that's another thing to mention is that it has never ever been more easy to get help. You know, to get a dog. And I, and I wish that I could change the mentality that people think of, of using a dog as a last resort. We're a tool, just just like the arrows in a bow, just like the bullets in a gun. We are a tool to help you finish and get your get your harvest. We're we're here to help. That's what we're for. You know, we're, we're just like anything in your bag that you take hunting. You know, we're just another tool to get the job done. Absolutely, I can, I agree with that 100. percent so uh, another another question, a, a common uh, misconception, I would say, uh, how does rain affect a track and how much rain would you say it would take before it would wash away all scent for a dog? Because in many situations, people want to hurry up and find that deer, find that deer before the rain comes to wash away the blood. Uh, and then they, they always think, well, if it rains, it's, it's going to ruin the track for the dog anyway. So could you maybe uh, shed some light on that? We'll go to Jeffrey for this one. Oh, sure, man. Um, honestly, it, it doesn't, to me, unless it rains a week, it's not going to affect it that much. Because in my personal experience, a, a little rain helps it a little bit. It keeps the track fresh. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll tell you one experience that I, that I dealt with. Um, 
not not everybody does this, and I'm not I'm not saying this is the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. But I'm also a member of UBT, which is United Blood Tractors, and one of my dogs I got certified just just in a level one, which is at the bottom of the rung. Um, my lab he's certified through UBT, and the way they they lay mock trails is like 500 yard trail, which use like eight ounces of blood, and they use that gland in the hoof to lay the track. Well, the track laid for I don't know how many hours, and then it come up on, so I mean, it rained as hard as you want it to rain for about two hours. I'm talking about, you know, as South Mississippi folks say, a gully washer. <laughs> and, you know, you're not going to see the blood then, but that, that scent, the scent's still there. You know, it may spread it out a little bit, but it's still there. That's the same reason why a dog can track across a river or a body of water or anything. That, that, that scent rises up above it and sticks to it. You know, it may, personally, if it's an older track, I found, and, and Joey and, and Craig may may uh, have some input on this too, an older track is better if it's a little wet, if it rains on its own. You know, now, if it rains a week straight, we probably got problems, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but but in the time frame that you call me to come find a deer, it's not going to affect it. I, I I personally don't think it's going to affect it one bit. I'm finding a deer, whether it's raining or whether it's not. You know, it's just a matter of, of us wanting to get wet. Okay, and that that's really fascinating because uh, I talk to a lot of deer hunters, and it seems to be a common. Uh, track of thought that if it's raining or right after rain that's a perfect time to go and check those trail cameras and uh maybe you know your top secret spot or whatever and and they think that they're not leaving <laughs> any scent on the ground when in fact it could actually be helping the deer because i'm i don't i don't know really statistics or scientific studies on this but i imagine a deer can smell probably twice as good as any dog could Oh yeah, definitely. Well, if that dog is you know, dog, you, you, <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, it, it, here's something, uh, uh, something to think about. Think of a noodle. You know, we're gonna say that noodle is scent. Now, if you take that noodle and you throw it at the wall, it may land on the counter. You know, the scent's still around. But if you wet that noodle, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You wet that noodle and throw it back at the wall. It's apt to stick. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I mean, meaning that that meaning that the scent can stick to, to wet to the moisture much better than it can dryness, which which is the same term of, of any any man that, that that anybody that that uses a dog for either hunting or either recovery like we do will tell you the same thing. Even even people that that uh, handlers that that do the uh, that track humans. I'll tell you the same thing that, that super dry conditions is terrible on the dog. Because the dog's nose on the ground, it's sucking up all that dust and it's just it's tough. And the scent doesn't stick as well as it does on slightly more ground. Sweet. Yeah. I I I'm really glad that, that you answered that because uh it really cleared a lot of things up for me because I I personally had had a lot of uh uncertainty about that because uh Man, like I said, I'm I'm a member of several groups on Facebook, and everybody just pounds, you know, going after rain, going during the rain, you know, washes away the scent, and 
I I didn't know, you know, how true that could be. So so from what you're saying, it could actually help the deer rather than hinder them as far as ground scent goes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd want to go if I'm gonna go tromping around my hunting spot, I want it to be dry, sunny, and windy. That's just me. If I want to go stomping around, that's that way. I just feel like it's going to kill the scent because I'm going to tell you now, my dog has the hardest time on what days, and I'm sure Joey's and Jeffrey's are the same too. On what they're going to have the hardest time on sunny, dry, windy days. You know, it's just that dryness just just dissipates and evaporates that scent. You know. Awesome. That that's great to know. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll go to, uh, to Joey with this one and, uh, we're about to get in a, a few of my, my most, uh, I guess, favorite questions. Uh, so we'll, we'll dive right in. Uh, is everybody doing okay so far on the time? Yeah. I know we're at, we're about an yeah, hour yeah. and 15 minutes so far. Everybody good to go? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. So we'll, we'll dive right in. Uh, so out of all the tracks that, that notes the ground group conducts, uh, what percentage of those in and recovery? And I know we, we touched on that at the very beginning, and I, I didn't want to uh, get in real deep into that because I wanted to revisit uh, now. So you mentioned that, that last year was 71%. Um, have y'all, out of all the years of doing this, kind of tallied up that percentage each year? Or, or do you just look at it as, as from year to year kind of thing? Uh, Jeffrey might be able to help a little more on this, uh, but I, I think we did it. I've only been on the admin team for three years, so or three seasons. This is my fourth season. I think that we tally it up every, every at the end of every year, and we get our numbers in. Um, but we try to keep it uh, monthly, you know, just amongst ourselves, you know, a little monthly. But but I don't know about you know as far as what our overall since we first well, started. We we uh, we we have kept track of it since the beginning of the group. Um, but but yeah, yeah like like Joe said, it's it's not. I don't have a complete total as far as from you know from beginning to present time. I don't have that. But do you, do you have yearly ones? You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I imagine it would be sort of tough, especially with the, with the amount of handlers that y'all have getting all this information. But I think uh, personally, it, it would be great for y'all just to kind of keep up with that information and, and maybe making a spreadsheet uh, and just kind of kind of keeping keeping up with that because I, I think that'd be a great thing to, to uh, share as far as the statistics because I, I like looking at numbers and I, I just love you know comparing things. And uh, I, I think that'd be a great thing for the for the group to do if uh, y'all could dedicate somebody to to maybe just that thing. Oh, absolutely! I, I oh, tell yeah. you, uh, not, not not to take away from Joe or anybody, but I, I have a I have a form that I that I like to go through as far as my interview process with my hunters. Um, you know, time given if I have the time. You know, it goes from anything from. You know, the hunter's name, contact number to, you know, uh, who the leaseholder is, whether I'm on public land or private land, uh, you know, whether I'm allowed to track on leash or off leash, you know, what season it is, you know, if uh, 
have you tried to track with another dog? Do we have permission to cross property lines? You know, and 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 some of the things that little rules that I kind of have. You know, like I'm the only one that's going to have a gun unless otherwise, or a weapon or anything unless otherwise, you know, unless I say different. Um, and then I have a spot on the back uh, to where we talk talk of what weapon it was. You know, as far as um, what rifle caliber, you know, what what type of bullet was it, you know? Or if, it, if, it's a, if it's a bow and arrow, if it's a fixed blade or mechanical blade. You know, when they have a position of the broadside, quarter to way, quarter to facing, facing on or facing away, you know, um, the distance the hunter tracked the deer, how far was the deer when you shot it? All these different things that there's just something else that we can come, and I'm a comment section that, I have a, and I have a diagram of a deer that is that is gridded off from that they can tell me where they think they hit the deer, and if we recover the deer, then I can compare that to what they where, where they thought they hit the deer, you know, and and make comments of the, of what what I saw along the track, and, and not everybody's gonna take time to do that, but I do because I like to I like to learn from it, you know. I, I feel like I get a lot from that track if I can take notes, you know, about it after it's all said and done. Absolutely. And, and like I said, the more information, the better. And, and I realize this is a, a free service. And many times these guys are getting caught out on weekdays and they've got jobs to wake up to in the mornings and it can go on and on and on. So I, I can definitely understand the uh, uh, some guys not, not getting as detailed in this information. But like I said, I just just for me personally, I love looking at numbers and, and comparing, you know, statistics from maybe year to year or even uh all together as a running total. So, uh, but we'll, for, for, for the sake of the podcast, we'll just say, you know, 71% was last year's recovery rate total. Uh, so my next question would be out of that, you know, remaining percentage from that 71%, what percentage would you say were due to property lines or say non-vital hits if you had to if you had to split those two up what what percentage would you say were were due to the property boundaries and then what percent of that would be from from non-vital hits that's a tough one man that's really no way to really give you an accurate number on that because that you know it kind of comes in three <laughs> you know we might get you know i can tell you that a lot of us run into the the property line issue to where um, you know, we don't have permission to go over. The hunter doesn't. We got to tone back. And more times than many, the uh, the neighboring properties we can get gain uh, access. Me personally, uh, I haven't experienced it in my neck of the woods that I track in. But I do know last year, uh, some of our fellow handlers ran into that problem with some uh, neighbors that uh, would not allow them to recover the deer. And uh, you know. Uh, so it's tough to say that percentage. It really is. You know, there's no way to say that, and we could keep up with it. That could be an idea, you know. Uh, uh, we could just start plugging those away. But I would say, honestly, that would be a small percentage of not being able to gain access to recover a deer. I would say the bigger percentage would be non-lethal hits and being pushed by hunters. Those two would be 50-50 for me, in my opinion, uh, Joey and and Jeffrey might have a different opinion, but I, I think that those two are going to be the biggest contributors of non-recovery, just hunters not treating the tracks correctly, and then right there followed by just, just absolutely just non-lethal hits and and just 
touching on the way I track, if the real estate allows, I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to turn every leaf, every stone over I can, uh, blood or not, to confirm a miss or a non-lethal hit. My rule of thumb, I'm, for me personally, if I haven't found any bedding spots and my dog's still tracking that deer a thousand yards legally on the property or property permission to, I may push a little bit further, but I'm going to stop at probably that 15, 1600 yard mark or uh, if the real estate, if I run out of property. Um, to, for me, in my personal opinion, I feel like if that deer hadn't bedded down inside of Grand, uh, or, or 1,500 yards, even being pushed, that, that deer has got a strong will to live, and it's highly likely that deer is going to survive, in my opinion. Um, most of the deer that I have recovered that were uh, hit uh, bodily or or would have died in two or three days, um, I was able to recover them inside a 1,000 yards. It's pretty easy, um, even being pushed. Uh, so... You know, that's just my experience. Other handlers may have a different opinion, but that, that's that's my experience. Okay, and out of out of the absolutely last year, my my I don't have all my numbers, but I, I do remember just looking at it the other night that my personal numbers from last year, most of my recoveries were within within seven hundred yards. Yeah, yeah. Okay, as, awesome. as an average, you know, within seven hundred. Right. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit uh, deeper here in just a minute. Uh, but out of those non-recovered deer, uh, how often did, is it that y'all hear back from a hunter that the deer either showed up on trail camera later or is, is later found, you know, dead? I would, uh, I'll say this real quick. Let me just backstep this a little bit. You say not, I'm going to go back up to the non-recoveries i'm gonna touch on this just for a second one of our biggest gut wrenches is uh i hate i don't like telling people how to hunt or how to shoot but the biggest threat down for us is sickening for myself and every other handler are these back there are these headshots that have gone wrong being nose be shot off or the dog be shot off most of the time, we don't have enough property to recover those deer because those deer still have four good running legs, all right? And I don't know any dog in the world that can outrun a deer, you know? And and the terrain in Mississippi, most of the time, these deer are going to get away unless it's choppy terrain and you got a, a very committed dog. And uh, I'll just say that's a, that's a low recovery in my experience, and we actually had one get away from us about two years ago. Uh, it got away from, uh, I think, three or four dogs of ours, and um, it was just, it was gut-wrenching, but, you know, it just, you know, I tell the hunters to chalk it up as experience. You know, it's a sad thing, but, you know, and I will say this, every one of those head shooters sings that same song until they have to call us. You know, I, and, I could go I, on, I could go on a rant about that particular subject, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll just say for anybody that attempts a headshot, uh, maybe you make, you know, 90% of them, but maybe that, that other 10%, that 10th deer, you shoot their jaw off or, or wound them to, to, to where they have a long, you know, painful, agonizing death. And I, I just don't see, you know, why, why people would, would try that shot attempt, you know, when. I know when I was youth, I was I started with a 243, 
and I love to shoot all my deer in the neck because they mm. just drop dead. But I would never in a million years ever try to attempt a headshot. And I, I don't, I don't understand that thought process of, of people that, that think that's just so cool. They think, you know, well, I guess it's a bragging right type of thing on, on the internet or something. I don't know, but I, I just don't see why well, anybody would ever want to, want to attempt to shot like that on an animal that, that, that you, you hunt and you want to, you know, get the meat from, but that, that's the, I'll end my rant there. Uh, I just don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I'll say this. I'll add to it. These are, these, these animals have a heartbeat and as hunters, we, uh, we owe it to the animal to do, to, to take our time, do our best to take broadside shots. And, I'm just a firm believer in shooting for the largest vital area. Shoot center mass to the largest vital area. That is that that way Murphy's law doesn't come knocking as often. If you shoot for those smaller vital areas, Murphy's law is going to be right there peeking around the corner at you more times than many. So um, that's just my opinion. But uh, going back to your question, right quick on how many deer return on camera. Uh, a lot of our leg shot deer and brisket shot and back wax, what we call, or spine shot deer, um, not absolutely shot in the spine, but just fell due to spine shot, which is actually kind of a, a hilarious thing to deal with with hunters sometimes. When they see their deer flop down and get up and run off, they feel like it's dead pretty close. But those are usually, when we get those in, we're kind of like, we know how this is going to go most of the time. We already know. But... Uh, Anyways, most of the leg shot, brisket shot, back wax, we call them, go back up on camera. And I would say, I would say the ones that I've trapped like that, and matter of fact, I have some pictures I'm going to send you, one that was shot through the neck. I tracked for uh, 1,600 yards, shot through the neck with a 30 six, and I'll send you the before and after pictures of him. After I tracked him two weeks later, he has a big hole in his neck, and uh, he survived. So I'll actually send that to you. But, is that um, is that upper neck or, or where at, where at in the neck was that specifically? Because I I I have a that's a, something I've never heard before. Because like I said, I yeah. I shot most of my deer when I hunted with a two forty three where the neck meets you know the the base of the the body there and uh, every one of them dropped dead. So that's that's uh, that's right. This was dead middle of the neck and missed the spine. Went in between the uh, the windpipe, the EJ, and the spine. Just straight meat. And uh, the deer survived. And uh, I think Joey and Jeffrey might send the pictures of it. We share so many pictures. Um, you know, we, we forget what we see. But uh, I'll actually send those to you for your podcast just to show you how resilient some of these deer are and, and how they, um, you know, how they can survive some of these shots. But I was really shocked when I saw the uh, trail cam picture of this deer. That was probably the most shocking. Which I've gotten pictures of three-legged deer that I tracked and uh, and couldn't shut them down because it was either on 80 acres or 100 acres or just, you know, a small portion of land, and, and we just couldn't get permission to go across the road to the, uh, to the neighbor's property. But it takes some real estate to shut those deer down. It really does. It's bit, you know... Especially if they've been tracked and pushed a little bit, it takes some. It takes a lot of real estate, so permission is very important, and, and it's big. It's very important for these hunters to establish that before season even opens. Absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes time is your best friend on some of this stuff, you know. Yep, I could I could see that for sure. Uh, 
so I, I guess we'll now that we kind of got that uh, answered. If, if you were to take say those, we're backing up a little bit here. If you were to take those non-recovered uh, deer, and you would you would divide those between firearm and archery equipment, which one would you say was most responsible for those non-recovered deer, and, and why do you think that is? And before you answer that, I would I would say archery would be three quarters of, of the non-recovered deer. And I, I may be completely wrong. I could see where uh, firearms would would have the the higher number just because there's more people who who hunt with with guns. But I see. It just seems like tons upon tons of people out there with these bows, you know, that they wait till the, the day of season opening to, to shoot it. And they just go out there, you know, don't not know much about it. Just start flinging arrows and stuff and, and wounding a lot of animals. So uh, you may not have a specific uh, number on that, but but out of your experience over the years, which which would you say were more responsible for for wounded deer? I'll go first. But the only reason that the, that the, the, the firearms have a higher number is, is exactly like you said, because it's more people in the woods. But if there were just as many people on the archery, you know, as there is firearms, and you could shoot a, a moat as far as you could have gone, then archery would blow it out of the water. Would it, for me, I mean, you guys have something different, you know. On the records that I kept last year, archery was pretty close, but firearms was the biggest non-recovery. There's a, it, it was just like Tanner said, there's more hunters in the woods shooting with the firearms, and there's more high backs and low legs that that we didn't recover or the uh what we call this we call them spine shocks that got up and left after the hunters thought they were dead now granted this year already um according i looked over my records while ago before i left the house we have nine unrecovered deer and four of those were shot were shoulder shots and they're I've already gotten pictures from the hunters that they're back on camera. And you're 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 referring to both of course on that. They were shot with archery equipment. Right. Okay. Uh and I I'm gonna go out on on a limb here and say uh out of out of the, the non recovered ones with the rifle shot, it probably varied in all all types of calibers. It it didn't probably didn't hold true to, to one or the other. It's probably a, a mix of every kind you can imagine. 300, 300 blackout was my worst caliber yeah. last year. I tracked, I tracked more for 300 blackout. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to the same thing. You know, as much as people crash at 270 and a 6.5 and a 30 caliber, it ain't going to be so with them. But they've knocked off track more with a 30 caliber bullet, period, than I have any. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I've, I've had, uh, 
I'd say my non-recovery is half and half, archery and rifle, to be honest with you. Um, which, again, I just track locally here. I'd usually stay within half an hour. Sometimes I'll reach out there and uh, and go on these uh, Christina piggyback five-mile hikes. But uh, <laughs> uh, just picking on Chris. He's one of our buddies. But uh, anyways, uh, I would say mine are half and half. And so far as smaller calibers, I'll be honest with you, um, these smaller calibers, uh, anything less than a 7mm bullet, for me, I find I am, uh, they don't cavitate as well, they don't have the inertia, um, they don't have enough bullets just to keep going if they hit heavy bone, um, or either enough mass to keep the, uh, you know, keep the damage and the cavitation going if it is a bad shot or marginal hit, whereas when I see these larger, you know, a larger bullet, anyway, from a seven millimeter weight all the way to, uh, you know, a three oh eight, thirty out six, three hundred wind mag, whatever. But the seven millimeter bullet family and above, I seem to have, uh, I see better uh, cavitation and room for. Uh, it makes up for marginal hits, uh, and I pay attention to that. I really do, man. Uh, I actually, uh, that's kind of just, I don't know, I guess something that I'm really interested in and I pay a lot of attention to um to that part of the tracking, you know, how much damage these bullets are doing and, and what I'm going on mostly and and if uh how much destruction and uh cavitation these bullets made on this bad hit, you know, and I have seen um some rounds uh completely miss the vitals but it cavitated enough it sealed the uh chip cavity up with blood which uh, drowned the deer, you know, it, uh, it started with its oxygen. And then I've seen smaller rounds, 243 or 6 millimeters, 6.5, stuff like that, um, just go just above the liver, high through the lungs, and still hit lung. But, uh, you know, it just it was a really long, long recovery. And uh, I actually had a friend that had to call a uh, tracker a few years ago, three or four years ago, it was a 6.5. It was midsection high across the top of the lungs and liver. And uh, he shot that deer that morning. And they recovered that deer. Uh, it, uh, it was during rifle season. It was legal. It was a live uh, uh, bay uh, and dispatch situation. Everything was legal in this situation. And it winded up being, I want to say, close to 1,100 yards. And it winded up being 3 or 4 o'clock that afternoon. He shot the deer at day, daylight. So wow. this goes to show you, I mean, if it, it, in my opinion, if it had been a larger caliber or a bullet that would have been caused more cavitation, that deer would have been not in that situation. So that's just my opinion. Okay, I got you. And uh, before we move on, and y'all may not have the, the exact numbers or an estimate on this, what seemed to be the average distance uh, firearm and archery wise that that deer was at where those were those uh, non-lethal hits just seemed to skyrocket on those non-recovered deer if if there is I would one say it, this year has been the ones that were out past 40 yards on the archery and last year on the rifle was the statistics was the ones that were out past 200 Interesting, that, which are probably shots that not a lot of people practice, I imagine. 
for the most part, anyway. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's been different ranges for myself. It's been anywhere from 10 yards with a rifle or bow all the way out to three and 400 yards with a rifle. And uh, it just boils down to this. Honestly, uh, the best, what I've seen, uh, the verdict being is somebody not knowing their equipment and not being familiar with their equipment. That seems to be the biggest contributor versus the range of the yardage. Because uh, I've only been on two tracks this year, and I'm one and one. Uh, a gut shot buck, and then another buck that was shot at roughly 18 yards. And um, it just, this failure on the shooter's end, you know, just made a bad shot, you know, so. Absolutely. So, uh, going back to, I can't remember if it was, if it was Joey or Craig uh, that talked about the behavior of deer, but uh, I'd like, I'd like that person, whether it be Joey or Craig, to uh, to start us off, uh, what what would the average distance of travel be on, on most of these tracks, uh, and and how much of a difference is it between, say, a heart or a lung shot deer versus a, a liver or gut shot deer as far as behavior go and distance of travel? Uh, I can start off with it. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I got it. Um, let's start out with the gut shots and gut and liver it it those Your favorite <laughs> if the hunter if exactly i love them uh if, if a hunter right. does not push push them if they realize where they hit that deer and they go to that shot site and see gut matter on the ground or that dark blood that darker blood and they just call a dog we get there most of the time so far this year everything has been under under 200 yards on a on a true gut shot and that's just not the hunter guessing and saying hey i think i got him in the gut if we get there and the arrow smells like guts and there's gut we f- start finding gut matter then and i'll look back and tell him man the dog this is simple it's gonna be right up here the, this year so far all of them are under 200 yards think we've had one one that went 250 but it, it was dead they're all been doa um that's extremely extremely lung, interesting yeah the lung shot yeah, i'll say this I mean, yeah. the, the lung shots tend to go i have had them go up to 700 yards and 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 that's just not a hunter telling me he hit them in the lungs i've got that true pink Pepto-Bismol, frothy-looking blood, and I have seen them go seven, eight hundred yards. So it's it's yeah. and, and somebody hit a heart shot the other day over the weekend, I, I believe, and sent it back and said this was a tr- true heart shot. His heart was demolished, and I think it was he still went close to three hundred yards. Mm. The deer have a will to live, and they they just they can they can go further than what you think. But yeah, I have tracks. What was that? Uh, I have tracks, guts, gut shots up to twelve hundred yards, but that's because hunters kept Push pushing, them. kept pushing, kept pushing, and pushed this deer off the property, and had to call for get permission to go. And we finally caught up with the deer, and we 1,200, 1,500 yards away from shot site 
but it was because they were trailing the deer. Oh, we got blood here. We got this. We got that, and just kept pushing the deer. Didn't give him a chance to lay down and die. Right. I'd like to add a side note real quick. Uh, it just popped in my mind when you said that uh, hunters pushing the deer. That is, like y'all were saying earlier on, on social media, being the worst thing for uh, somebody seeking uh, advice on to track a deer. I can't tell you how many comments I've read where people advocate, you know, get the deer up, keep pushing them, keep it on his feet. Uh, Cause people are just so afraid of, of that deer blood clotting and stop bleeding altogether. If they don't keep pushing them and making them bleed. Uh, could you maybe shine some light uh, on, onto that particular statement? Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, the only time that I'm ever going to tell a hunter that is if, if they know that they shot that deer in, in a leg or something like that, if they, you know, blow a leg off or something like that, that's the only time I'm going to tell them that. Me personally. Any other time, yeah. time is your friend. You know, gut shots, you know, let it lay as long as you can. You know, they, they say six to eight hours, you know, uh, whatever shot, four or five hours. Let them lay. You know, or sometimes it just takes it all night. You know, I'm, I'm, I tracked a gut shot. I went on, on a track one night last year that, that the guy just didn't know where he hit the deer. He waited a few hours, got there, got on the track, and I, and I found nothing out there. I pulled off that there just, just because we didn't have a lot of land to work with. I said, we're going to pull off. And we went back at about 9 o'clock the next morning, and this deer was still alive. And, and, and we did not wind up not getting the deer because we couldn't get off on an adjacent property because the deer was still alive. You know, I'd have, I'd have been running if the deer would have been, I mean, after he shot this deer at like 4 30 in the evening, and he was at 9 o'clock the next morning, and the deer still ain't dead. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it happens. You know, every track's different. You know, there's no, there's no written stone, like Blue Craig said it earlier. It's not written in stone, but it's a good. A little fun to to look at these times and stuff that you you can Google it anywhere you know and and, and there's charts out there everywhere that tell you times to wait on certain shots that you think you might. But it, you know, mom, I I I'm to say that the only time I'm gonna tell you that if you can't get it all right away or you're hurt from it all, the worst thing that happen is we got more. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's going to be based on scenario for me personally, and that's what I tell, again, you know, like Jeffrey mentioned what I stated earlier, it's, it's knowing your resources and knowing your capabilities and, and just throwing something out there. Me personally, you know, um, I don't mind getting on gut shots. If I have the real estate and, uh, and no pressure, if everything is the way I want it, I have no problem getting on a on a hundred percent gut shot, my gut on the ground, you know, like Joey says. I mean, if I know for a fact it's a gut shot, and I and that deer hadn't been pushed, I know it's bedded up. I got no problem getting on it in about two hours with my dog. I don't care, but I'm confident with that. But I will say this: if I'm limited to my real estate, or if I'm got highways near me, or I got dangers for my dog, or if I got the river right next to me that he can go hit. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I don't care if a monsoon is coming. I don't care if it's going to rain for 24 hours. 
I'm probably just going to tell everybody, listen, you keep that place quiet and let that deer lay down and, and, and just let it die. And, uh, it, you know, and deer, I've seen deer live two, three days gut shot. You know, I mean, uh, another handler on MBT, and I remember a, a pretty vivid video three or four years ago of one that had his intestines hanging out. He's actually a good friend of mine, uh, tracked that deer. I forgot he had been shot once earlier that year through the shoulder, and then his guts were eviscerated later on that, uh, season just hanging out of him and the deer was still up fighting the dogs the buck was and i think i don't don't quote me on this but i think it was the next day or two days later that deer's still alive or either later on it's been a long long time the deer should have been dead if you went by the book but the book lied on this okay so again i think the scenario the resources and the handler have to make the decision what's best to recover that deer again there's nothing written in stone and i will say that i will continue to say that you know i mean i don't see my mind changing on that anytime soon okay thank thanks for for covering that uh and the second part of that question if if joey if you were to look at these tracks or anybody that's just using uh gps systems uh while you're tracking if you were to look at these tracks from say an aerial viewpoint uh, is there a common trend of routes that deer seem to take? And if so, what do these look like? And and how do those deer who are, say, longer hot heart shot differ from those that are that deliver a gut shot as far as their, their travel route looking from an aerial viewpoint? Longer heart shots seem to run just sporadic, whatever direction they're faced in. There's nothing... It's not like they're looking for anything. You got a leg shot or a gut shot. They're always I'll, first thing I ask them when I find out that this gut that we're on a true gut shot is where's your nearest water pond, creek, or whatever. Leg shot the same thing. I've, we've stumbled up on leg shots. All you can see is the head of the deer. He's laid down in this, laid down in the water in a pond, a little beaver dam, or you know, just a creek. They're they're looking for water. Those that are hurting, the, the ones that die really quick, the heart shots, the long shots. I don't think that they're really looking for anything. They're just trying to get out of there, and they run wherever. They just run. What yeah, do you guys, Jeffrey? What do you guys think? I agree. Yeah, I, I agree too. Usually, uh, usually, mostly a straight line type deal with a, with a with those fill up lethal quick expiring shots. You know, uh, like like I was saying earlier, I had one that was shot run along and, and caught the hot hot too. And, and this this deer, yeah, everybody did around two hundred eighty seven yards. You know. Uh, and straight line. But yeah, I do agree with, with water. And they do like to find water on those gut shots, even liver shots. You know, um uh, I you know, I've tried to I've tried to make prime reason out of it and, I, and uh, what I can think of is most of the time and that I found it to be more common with a with with gun, you know, with a firearm than with, with bow and arrow. Now, it does happen with bone there too, but it's more, I feel like, in my experience, it's been more more common for firearms because I feel like it burns a more, you know. 
and they're trying to get that water and they're trying to clot off because it's and actually what was clot up when the water hits blood anyway. You know, they are trying to clot it off and it stopped bleeding and stop that burning. Um, I'm not too great. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree, I, and I really think if a deer's hitting the vitals, their blood pressure's dropping fast, um, they're not getting that oxygen exchange rate to the brain, to the nervous system, and their body is just going to start shutting down. And they're not able to think and, and use their uh, instinct and decision-making as an animal to survive and apply that to their legs. They're going downhill, and they're crashing, and their body's just starting to fail one system after another. So, yeah, vital shots like Joey, uh, lung, like Joey said, lungs, heart, they're going to be erratic. They, they just can't think. You know, they can't think. Um, whereas, say, uh, a brisket shot, leg shot, even uh, uh, something about guts, I, I, they're trying to get somewhere, and they're trying to compensate. They're, they know they need to compensate for the loss of fluid uh, just naturally. And I think me, just speaking on those terms, um, I think that's one reason they go for water. That's just my opinion. I think they're, they're trying, they know they need fluid and they're trying to compensate for whatever reason. And that's why they go for, for, uh, for the water sources. And, uh, you know, uh, and gut shots not pushed, they, they don't go far. Most of the ones I went on, uh, or I'm gonna be honestly under 200 yards that weren't pushed. Some, some around 300 I actually have liver shots go a little bit further than most of my gut shots. But, uh, uh, but you know, it's just, yeah. I mean, uh, all of us are pretty like-minded on the same page when it comes to that question, man. I think we're all in agreement on that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Because, uh, like I said, I, I just, I just love looking at. Uh, statistics and, and numbers and i was just wondering if, if there was any sort of uh common pattern that that those deer would make so uh i, I figured there would be some so, so type of uh common pattern but i guess it would make sense that that at that time they would go with whatever exit routes that they were comfortable with uh just to get away from whatever danger was was uh after them yeah so uh with that i, I guess with piggybacking off of uh gps's uh what is it specifically gps systems do y'all use because i'm guessing y'all have to have some sort of means as far as checking property lines and, and things of that nature yeah um myself i use garmin um i can't remember the model you know i'm not one of these tech savvy guy <laughs> so i mean we pretty much use uh, all our stuff is most of it's generic forms and we're interchangeable. We actually can log our, each other's dogs in if we're teaming up on the uh, track uh, to make sure that we're all running on the same line together and, you know, it's just their coordination. But uh, for the most part, most of us run uh, a Garmin device or, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, I don't know. Well, Joey, what are you running this year? Same thing or? Me and Tate run the Garmin Alpha, and we both have map cards in them, and we can we can determine where that deer where that deer is headed. We can push a screen push push on the screen, and it tells you property owner how how far it that property line is away from where we're standing, and uh, pretty tech. It's, it's pretty high tech stuff, and uh, we have tracked our our dogs. Of 
course, so you have to carry the, the longer antenna if, if you think they're going to range out. And uh, But we have kept reception with our dogs up two and a half miles away from us. Man, that, that's incredible. And I'm guessing that you'd have to have some sort of GPS at, at that distance to, to figure out how to get your dog back. Sometimes sometimes there's an easier route that you can just cut. If you can go cut them straight through the swamp for the picket, you can go around the road and get to them. You know, and, and I use the same thing. I have a, I don't know, I've got an alpha running under with TT15 collars. Those collars, uh, I have the ability to, you know, my dogs with So what, what what would be some, some ways, Craig, uh, that handlers would, would try and contact landowners when, when running into property lines, uh, say if the hunter wouldn't know or have a relationship with that adjoining property owner, and uh, how often is it that, that those landowners give access or, or permission versus denying it? And I would imagine that, that that would go back to what type of relationship uh from landowner to landowner, if, if they have a bad relationship, I imagine it'd be quite common to uh, deny somebody access on on their property. Yeah, so ideally, like I like I mentioned before, as hunters, all of us, we should try to establish that and be good neighbors with each other before season comes, and you know that can um, have, that would be the solution before anything like that happens, anyways. Um, so basically, if the hunter doesn't know whose land's next to him or whatnot, that comes down to basically, you know, knowing the area or having apps on your phone. I have Onyx on my phone and uh, the GPS and all that. And, and usually they're pretty close with who owns it. And then from there, it's kind of, you know, doing a, a social media search. Hopefully you can pull the name up and get in touch with this person. Sometimes it'll take 30 minutes. Sometimes it could take a couple hours. You know, it's just a process of investigating if you don't have a direct number to contact. Um, but again, that kind of comes down to why I like to stay local within 30 minutes. I know my community very well, and I know somebody that knows or owns that land. You know, so that's one of those things that I use uh, in my corner. Um, last year, I actually ran into that a few times, and I. Uh, I reached out to uh, another uh, friend, Jay Laggett, uh, with uh, blood trailing dogs. That uh, we have some mutual friends, and uh, there's this kid Buck that ran off onto a, a big major 
uh, estate, uh, very large uh, acreage of property. And um, they shot their deer on 60, uh, 60 acres, I think, 50, 60 acres. And the deer looked like it was shot a little low and far back. I knew it was going to be a far track. And it took me about about an hour to obtain permission. And 99% of the time, or I'll say 100% of the time for me personally, I've always been able to obtain permission, uh, whether it be whatever the timeline i've always been able to get permission and i've actually gotten permission for other handlers in my area as well i actually did that for a uh, another one of our handlers donovan norman i know he uh i got him some permission to track a uh a leg shot i think it was actually on the same property that uh i uh tracked this deer on uh last year but uh, it wound up being about a 700 uh yard liver shot track and uh the deer was doa but uh it was, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been able to happen unless, you know, the, the landowner was to give me permission. So, thankfully, I have always ran into uh, good-hearted people when it comes to that. Um, so, but it's not always the case, unfortunately. Okay. And for anybody listening, the, the reason I asked that question is because, if, if you may not know, it's illegal to uh, go on another pro- person's property to retrieve a deer uh, which would, of course, be trespass- trespassing. Is that correct, Craig? Yes, it would be. And uh, that's one thing, too, trespassing. And don't quote me on these numbers, but I do believe I get my twos and threes mixed up on this. But I do know a certain amount of trespassing charges within a certain amount of years, two or three years versus two or three uh, can equate a felony. And most of us can't afford that, right? That means we can't hunt with a firearm no more. So if it was really pushed, and I don't know if that's still law today, but I know it used to be, and I know a person it was pushed on uh, six or seven years ago, and it almost happened. But, um, you know, trespassing charges are something that we don't want to even deal with. So we're going to do every effort uh, we can to avoid that because we, uh, you know, I don't want people stomping all over my place. And I'll tell you what, if they call me, I'll be out there helping them find their deer on my place if I'm home. You know, if not, then they can still go get their deer, you know. But I just like to know. And that's just uh, that's just being neighborly, right? Right. Respectful. So, um, you know. But, yeah, it can definitely turn into a legal thing. And, you know, everybody and their mama has a camera out there. So we know Bigfoot doesn't live and uh, down here. And uh, I hadn't seen any Black Panthers either on these cameras. So <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, I... You know, I, I just, uh, they'll damn sure catch us though, going across a food plot that we don't have permission to go on. So, Absolutely. You know, on top of that, and you know, another thing, they might be trapping coyotes. You know, you just, it could be dangerous for your dog that you don't know about on that guy's property. He might say, hey, I got a trapper out there. He's got several coyote traps out on, or, or even worse, you know, it could be other stuff that might not even be legal, and it might not be safe for the hunter or the dog, you know? I mean... So you got to consider those kind of things. Right. And like you said, going back, I, I think uh, more times out of not that the landowner would be more than happy to at least grant permission for somebody to retrieve a deer. Uh, of course, before the fact of them trespassing, they, they may not be so uh, eager to help at that point. So uh, do, do these handlers ever take uh, hunter's word for having permission to go on another property to retrieve a deer? 
because I have to imagine that there's some some people that allow out of the excitement to retrieve the deer that they shot, you know, especially if it being a the biggest buck they've ever killed. So have y'all ever ran into that situation and how would you go about handling that? Well, well I, I mean, I, I'll say go, go ahead, Jeff. Jeff, go ahead. I, I personally I personally have. Um I've, I've, there's also on that sheet I was telling you about does do you do we have permission to cross property lines? And if we do, then I'm gonna get that hunter to sign this paper every time. Now that may not get me out of trouble, you know, but I have a leg to stand on. Right. If that makes any sense. You know, I I, I don't know anybody out there that's gonna talk. I mean, some some, some might be that uh, I don't want to say that uh, hard on things, but. I'm, I'm not going to take the time when you call me to track a deer and, and I, and you tell me, I ask you, do we have permission? You say yes. You know, and you sign that paper. I'm, I'm not going to go back behind you and check. Um, and I don't know many that would honestly, but, but that's, I'm going to get them a, we're going to sign that, you know, that way I have a leg to stand on. I have one of that issue, one of that issue year before last. And turns out that, this guy, it was it was family land, really. And then it was, he, he said, well, it's his uncle so-and-so's land or whatever, but uncle so-and-so didn't know it was there. And the hunter was way behind us. And we got to the deer, you know, and we're trying to communicate to try to get him to come around to us. And uncle so-and-so comes from the house down to us. And they were, we were both shocked to see, see each other. You know, who are you? Uh, who are you? Oh, yeah, I can imagine where but, that was. You know, and, and, you know, I mean, could he have got a trespassing tree? Could have. But I explained myself to him, you know, and I said, listen, I, I do apologize for being on your place. Now, he was he was even upset with his, with his nephew. But but I, I explained to him the situation. I said, sir, I'm, I'm not here hunting deer. I said, we're here. It's a recovery team. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only just trying to help find the deer. You know, I explained to him. I said, he even signed that it was okay. You know, I... I showed him the paper when we got back to the truck. I said, he even said it was okay. I said, I, I hope you don't hold any hard feelings against me, and I'm just here to do what the man called me to do, and all I can do is take his word for it. And he said, oh, you're right. I don't have any problem against you. And I said, well, thank you. <laughs> right, and I, I think even with that piece of paper, that that, that would hold some sort of, uh, uh, you know, accountability that, that y'all have proof that, that you know, you didn't go out there willingly knowing that, that you were trespassing. Uh, so after, after, well, after briefly speaking with y'all last week, uh, Craig and Jeffrey, that is, uh, I was surprised, you know, to hear that, that there's some people that are against of, of what y'all do as far as using dogs to, to track deer. And I can't really imagine any ethical person being against retrieving a deer that, that would otherwise be, very unlikely to, to do so without the use of dogs. Uh, so could you uh, explain maybe some, some reasons why uh, or what the thought press process is of those people who are against it? Because if, if, if you had to make a pitch to these people who, who may be listening uh, that say we're against it, what would be your message to them as, as to why the service you offer uh, for free is, is, is only a, a good thing? And is only beneficial. 
Yeah, so I'll uh, look at all so I can turn turn into a mess. Yeah, definitely, all three of us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, um, you know, it's it's just the ethical thing to do, and we have touched on every every avenue and element to answer that question throughout this this uh, this this discussion, this podcast. <clears throat> Everything from being just ethical and and being humane, um, and just being hunters, right? Um, we want to end suffering where suffering needs to be ended. Um, we have covered the property line restrictions, uh, what respect we, we show neighbors, our, uh, you know, just our code of conduct, all, if you want to say, um, when it comes to these tracks. Our job is not to run deer off, off your properties or anything, anything like that, which we have touched on before, you know, prior to this. Um, uh, I have one property that I, I track on all the time, and it has no problem, you know, and it's a heavy hunted area, and it has not damaged the hunting whatsoever. Um, you know, it, the message to for me to these people that really frown on it or make the comment of, if you learn how to shoot, you won't need, or learn how to track a deer, you won't need a dog, you know what? It, it comes down to this. I, those people like that, and, you know, whatever, but this is my opinion. You just hadn't been in the woods long enough. You hadn't done it long enough. I'm sorry. We just hadn't, man. And your day's coming. I'm sorry, but your day's coming. And you know what? One of us will proudly show up and give you our 100% effort to recover your deer. I just, um, there is a place for us. And uh, we, you know, we just throwed out some stats out there. 71% last year. So think about that. That's a, let's just say 100 deer. That's 71 deer that probably, most likely, would have not been recovered. All of them? Yeah, some of them probably would have been. Some of them got shot if you went out there and grid searched the next day. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, again, it goes back to how many times we say the hunters thought the deer went the other way, but our dogs told us different. Right. That happened to me. I'm going to be honest with you on half my track. But the, the, my dog, the, the deer is gone totally different direction that the hunter thought it did, and that and I'm a, that's literally probably at least forty percent of my tracks really go that way. Um, the uh, so going back to that number, hundred deer, seventy-one percent. Think about that. Let's just think about that. That's that's seventy-one deer that may probably not been recovered that would have fed coyotes or would have took two or three or four or five days to die, get eaten alive by coyotes versus being bathed and dispatched or found DOA. So Absolutely. I don't know how much more ethical you want us to get. You know, to me, not having us is not the ethical thing to do. I agree. You know, so that's, that's all I have to say about that. Joey, Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, again, you know, that, that's, that's one of my pet peeves is being plumped into that same category, which just couldn't be further from the truth. If I had to pitch it to somebody, I would say this. You would use every broadhead that you had till you found the right one. You would find, you use the best broadhead you could find to take this deer. You use the best round that you can out of your rifle to take this deer. Now, now that you can't find this deer, why wouldn't you use every resource that you could to find the deer? 
if the deer, this is what 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 we do is 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 daylight and dark between running. The only the only there's two similarities. One is a deer and one is a dog. That's the only similarity. The rest of it is false. It's, it's we're not running deer. We don't bother other deer on the property. We're helping recover deer that would have otherwise been lost if it had not been for a dog. These dogs have all these so much many more receptors than the human nose and they can smell what we can't even see. We track that interdigital gland and that helps us to determine what deer we're tracking that we're tracking the wounded deer, not just any deer. My dogs my dogs don't like my dogs don't like live deer. They don't like the red the, the ones that aren't wounded because they know they can't catch those. They can't get, they can't get up to those. They're not gonna find those. They don't get to chew on those or whatever, you know. So my, my pitch would be just that, you know. As a hunter, we are bound and and it is our duty to, to use every resource in our power legally to recover that animal. We we owe that to the animal. Absolutely, I agree. And, and to, to, be, to piggyback off of what, what you just said earlier, uh, it was actually a study done by the the Deer Uni- the, the DSU, the Deer University Deer Lab in Mississippi State. Uh, they put out a study. I, I can't remember. Uh, I'll have to go back and do some research on it. But it was said that uh, a deer can smell better than we can physically see. And, and if you think about that, that, that is extremely hard to comprehend. Uh, they can smell better than what we can see. So if, if you just could imagine, you know, I can't imagine that a dog is very far off from that. Uh, it, it just, I don't see why, why you wouldn't want, you know, the help of a dog to, to do that for someone. So, Joey, did you have anything yeah, to add to that? Absolutely. I think what what most people, hunters and landowners alike, why they don't want you on their property tracking is they, they have been told for years that dogs run their deer off. And that's the biggest, that, that's the biggest problem or in their head that if we come on their tracking, their deer is going to be gone for two or three days they won't see nothing and that's why they you know that, that's why they don't want us on their on their tracking because we're running the deer off right right big misconception so uh i guess as, as we're kind of closing out just, just just real quick though um i just just looked this up while we we're talking um and the white tail deer have up to 279 million receptors in their nose where humans only have 5 million dogs have 220 million so it's, it's really close between between dog, between dogs and deer right yeah yeah that's that's an extremely different what would you say 5 million uh, human versus how many to a deer 5 million to a human 297 million to a deer that's absolutely crazy 220 million for a dog yes i'll definitely take the dog's word over uh what the hunters saw any day 
<laughs> so, so uh, with that, uh, we're kind of wrapping up. I've, I've had your time for going on uh, two hours and fifteen minutes here. Kind of, kind of wrapping things up. I've just got a few more questions for y'all, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll just get get into and this. Could be something y'all can y'all can all answer kind of briefly if you'd like. Uh, so, what what would be the most crazy or bizarre thing you've ran into since since starting to, to track deer with the use of dogs? Jeffrey, you, you can start. Oh man! Well, personally, let me think about that a second. I've I've been on some wild rides, you know, tracking all through the night stuff. So. Oh, uh, probably the, the craziest one was a stolen deer. <laughs> a stolen deer. We, yeah, I mean, I'm tracking this deer. You know, we, we're tracking, we're tracking, we're tracking. This deer was shot. This deer was shot the evening before, and he knew it was gut shot. And he said, hey, "Buddy, you know, I'm, I've got to go home for the night, so let's just go back in the morning." I said, "That's perfect. You know, not gonna hear me argue about letting the deer, deer lay overnight." So we go back. Next morning, he said, we'll be there about 8 o'clock. I said, okay. we get there. You know, we get on the track. Dog hits it perfect. I mean perfect. We're out there, about 180 yards or so. And then the dog just quits. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I go out there. And he's just as puzzled as I am, you know. And we're looking around, and and, and and I see, see these where this where the deer had laid, you know, big water, and blood, and gut matter, and then I looked to the left and a little spot of sand, and there's some footwear tracks. I said, huh. One of the members of the camp went across. It wasn't really stolen deer. One of the members of the camp that went out there to go hunting and went across this deer laying not far from one of the footwear trails, and got the deer and took it back to the camp. So now we. We've been tracking his deer, but they already found him. Stole the lodging. What What that hunter have to say about that? That stole the deer? Oh, he wasn't upset. He, 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 it was all it was all funny by the time it was over with it. But at the moment, it wasn't real funny. You know, he was upset like somebody stole his deer. By the time we got back to the camp, and had it figured out. So it sounds like it was just a out. misunderstanding. We, we, then. we had like missed him in passing. You know, we come in from one side of the property because it did cross the little river. Um. And a little creek, really. We come in from one side of the property, and the, this other guy come in from the other side, you know, and found the deer over there and just took off. And was, I guess we, in passing, we passed each other. That's crazy. That's what, yeah. What about you, Joey? Well, I bet you Joey got a few. <laughs> <laughs> y'all don't, y'all don't want to know. I, I just sent yeah. Tanner a picture of a t- discussion we were talking about earlier. Um, so I sent him the picture of a of a deer shot in the jaw, and uh, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about the, about this deer. The hunter told me it was a leg shot, and that he had jumped him four or five times, and he said, "Man, you're not gonna believe this." But I think I told y'all, whoever called me, I think I told them we had done tracking 800 yards, but we've done tracking a whole lot longer than that. We're probably close to two miles. And, of course, I'm like, you're kidding. There's no 
no way you track this deer for two miles and still on blood. And he says, well, just wait till you get here. So I was like, okay. So we'll get there. And sure enough, this guy's got blood like somebody's in front of us pouring it out of a Coke bottle and just not stopping. I mean, it may stop two or three feet, but it picks right back up. It may stop for the most 10, 10 yards, but it picks right back up. And we literally tracked this deer for over five miles. And when we find, and I guess he just finally bled out and laid down. He was almost dead when we got there. I've got a video of it too. And uh, the deer was not hit where he said it was. And what the guy thought he saw flopping every time the deer got up running away was not the leg. It was his jaw. Yeah, look look at this picture. You so see me, that, that is brutal. So that yeah, deer. I've shot there and, and on the opposite lower end, too. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, that deer bled to death from being shot in the jaw. Yeah, He did. Pretty horrible, and, man. And, That's and a just, lucky one, though. That's yeah, that, that was one y'all were actually able to recover. Imagine the ones that have to go, you know, days or a week, you know, not being able to eat, just starving to death, not even being able to drink water correctly. That's crazy. What about what about you, exactly. Greg? Well, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can share my wild ones too much because they, they might <laughs> get me in trouble. <laughs> but uh, I'll share two. I'll share two. And, one of them might be, uh, I'm in a bad spot of the house, my phone was dying, guys, so if I cut out, just let me know. Um, so a funny one right quick. Uh, I, had just, uh, I had just made two bays earlier that week with my Hank. Uh, it was, this was about two years ago. And then I got uh, a track out in Claiborne County on a, on a buck, and it came in through the chat. And it was a, uh, a typical spine shot. It was in rifle season. And uh, the hunter said he uh, shot the deer. The deer immediately hit the ground, didn't move, and all of a sudden jumped up and, and hauled tail. So, you know, nobody's really available. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll give it a run. I mean, I know how this usually turns out, but we don't want we, we want to give the hunter sound mind, right? You know, we won't give closure on this track. Uh, y'all still hear me? Yeah. Okay. All right. Just make sure. All right. So um, get out there on scene. Uh, my dog lines out. He stays on the track. Good hunter, 200, 300, about 350, 400 turnarounds comes back. And my typical uh, body language of my dog when he ran out there a moment. All right. So I get down there to where he, he turned around, push my dog. He starts to line out, hits a few more times, takes a few more 100, 150-yard lines, and it's all lining up on GPS. We're on the deer. and um, But we're running our property. Well, we go a little bit further, and at this point, my my dog's body language, he's not interested anymore. He's got his head up. He's hunting. You know, he, he's done got aggravated. He's just, he, he he's he's lost interest. You know, we, as handlers, we know what happens, you know, especially if you've got a high-drive dog, he's hunting. And uh, he's just looking for rodents at that point. And, uh, well, anyways, Hank goes on another little line real quick, 70, 80 yards, and all hell breaks loose. And uh, I tell the hunters like get your phone ready. This it's gonna he's got it. <laughs> uh, when we get up there, and I'm, but keep in mind I just had two bays earlier that week. 
uh, really uh, action-based uh, bays. One of them was Joey Shepard, me and Joey Shepard on a Madison buck. And um, we got a video of it somewhere or another. But uh, anyways, get up there, and, man, it's cane thicket everywhere. And we get right around the dog. is only 12 steps in front of us, and he is going crazy. And uh, we get around the edge of the cane, and i tell you what, if there's record books for armadillos, this would have been one. This is a Boone and Crockett armadillo. I don't think he would have fit in on fit into a five-gallon bucket. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, was, that was the most embarrassing thing. And, but it was funny, and I looked at the hunter. I was like, man, I, I'm embarrassed, man. And, uh, you know, and it's not uncommon. If you got a gritty dog and he loses interest, he's going to go hunt something. He's going to get something like that, you know. And, and, and most of us aren't going to admit it, but – no, I say most of us. We laugh about it, but, uh, you know, but anyways. But uh, so far as an interesting one, that was a funny one. I'll give you well, a controversial one. Uh, interesting, I ain't saying names, but uh, I'll give this one. I'll put this one out there. Uh, a few people may know about this one. But uh, I went on a really big buck track. Uh, shot might have been forward a little bit. Rifle. Um, went out there. Um, I let the vetted dog turn out first. Uh, he uh, had a little issues. I turned my dog out, and uh, the vetted dog and my dog ran together for a short distance, and the vetted dog, well, I say vetted dog, has more years, the senior dog, had more years than my dog. My dog had two years on him at this point. Um, the senior dog took out a line and 400, 450 yards was out there just running hard. And uh, the other handler was like, man, I, I think this deer's shot in the leg. I think it's shot in the leg. My dog's telling it's shot in the leg. And uh, I was like, man, I hope not. But anyhow, my dog's not even running with him anymore. My dog's backtracking. And, you know, uh, he and my dog will do that. He'll backtrack a lot. And uh, other handlers know what I'm talking about. Joe and Jeffrey know. And I'm sure their dogs do it. And I've, I've trailed enough with Joey. I've, I've seen how rowdy and his dog, his Hank, will backtrack a good bit. And, um... Anyways, uh, well, all of a sudden, I'm walking back out towards the shot site, and my dog goes on 60 yards from the truck, and uh, 60, 70 yards from the truck, and he's going to town, just growling, biting, and that armadillo incident was actually four days prior to this, so I'm thinking, God bless it, he done got another damn armadillo, you know, I'm thinking, God again, man. And, uh, you know, I'm dwelling, and uh, the other handler's like, what's he got? He got something? I said, I don't know. I don't want to say nothing yet. I walk over there, and he's in about knee-deep water, and he is tearing the hide off of this book. So <laughs> I'll just say that uh, my dog, uh, uh, you know, he made a recovery on that one, and that was uh, and that was one of those that was just never brought out in the open, I guess, because of uh, reputations maybe. But uh Anyways, you know, that was kind of, you know, I would say that was a, my wild one. But I've had wilder, but I'm just not going to, you know, all of us have had wilder ones. But it's, uh, you know, it's best left, left, you know, just looking to look on, uh, on the faces of these hunters when we have those wild ones is pretty priceless. So I'll just leave it at that. I can imagine. Uh, this left my PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> say again? I said I definitely left my PG-13. <laughs> but. But hey, I've yeah. had a I've had a run in with a, I had a run in with an armadillo two years ago with my with my bulldog. Yeah. You know, we, we, same situation. You know, we, we're tracking this deer, and 
behind another dog. This guy, he called me some money for me if I just, my dog ain't working on So, okay, bud, I'm, I'm bringing my bulldog over. We'll see what he can do. He goes out there 200 something yards, and I'm talking the same way. I'm talking about him raising cane, fighting something. I'm like, golly, he must have the deer down up there. So, we call a tail up there. And this son, um, he's, um, he's eating all of it. I mean, he's that's yep. embarrassing. I'm like, Hunter looks at me. Yeah, it is. I look at him. I said, really? Yeah. He was a good buddy. Thank goodness he was a good buddy, man. Yeah, I looked at him. He looked at me. I said, shit, don't say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It happens to more of us than, than we admit, though. I promise you that. When I told that story to some handlers, man, they went to sharing their stuff. They're like, man, mine's a possum killing machine. I was like, I hear you. <laughs> you know? It's like a, like a coon dog going after a chipmunk. Yep. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much. If they were rabbit dogs, they'd fail. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, uh, those are some interesting stories. Um, for the for the next question here, trying to wrap up, I know I've, I've taken a lot of y'all's time. Uh, what has been the longest uh, recovered track that, that you've ever been on? And we'll start with, with Jeffrey. Just shy of 11 miles. Holy crap. Eleven miles. Mm-hmm. Where was this? Where was this deer shot this at? This was before. I, this was before I was able. To, this deer was. It was a leg shot. Um, this was before I was. I didn't. I didn't have an apple system. I didn't have a way to recall the dog. And every time they cross the road, I didn't have no choice but to get to the next one. You know, and the race was on, and they running down. You know, he bled out. So, ten point eight something miles. So how many property lines that. were that? Oh, Lord have mercy, a bunch. And I got lucky. And we ended up on somebody's place I knew. Well, that, that, you did I get lucky. Hey, man. Yeah, I did. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't that I was doing anything intentional. I was, I, I tried to cry catch the dogs on four different roads. 11 miles. I wonder right. if that deer knew where he was going to or if he was just Running like hell. Well, he had fire forward to him, so he was. <laughs> he may have knew where he was going, but but I mean, he wasn't. He, the deer wasn't very. I made I made the, the last crossing that the dogs the dogs were. I mean, they they shut him down about four hundred yards in the woods, but I could I watched the dogs maybe twenty yards behind the deer. You know, at the last crossing, I, I marched him out through the woods and went away from him, and I, I made the call and I said, I know whose place this is. You know, and by the time I got him on the phone, they stopped him on GPS. And I, said, oh. and I told him he was going on, and went on there and got to deep. That is something else. What What about you, yeah. Joey? I think my longest one is right here in Rankin County, and with the notorious Chris Pena. And he's notorious <laughs> for long and oh, yeah. crazy tracks, and it was right at seven and a half miles. And this deer, I mean, it was straight line, and it's for Rock Hill Hunting Club. And as far as I know, we we were hunting with the president. It was the president of the club, and every the direct line we went, we was not on. If he had crossed one more road, we would have finally got off their property. But uh, they went from one end of their property to the other. Seven and a half miles, and finally got him bait in a creek on a leg shot, and that's that's probably one of the longest ones that I've 
that I can remember. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I hope to go on a couple with y'all, but I I hope I hope it's not nearly <laughs> as long as that because I don't yeah. I don't know how well I, I can hang. Leg shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, leg shot. Something you don't want to go on, man. I mean, unless it's especially if it's been pushed, man. Uh, the notorious rib bone. You know, got rib bone. When they say rib bone, you know those those hunters have already been tracking. So, yeah. but uh, um, anyways, yeah, people, people a lot of times people think that those. And then, and I want touch just for just a second, and I'll let you, let you tell it, Craig. But a lot of times people think, "What's well, the leg shot?" That there would live. That's not necessarily true. That it's like a what touches ground all the time when there walks. You know, that's a lot. That there can has awesome potential to die a long, painful death from infection. Absolutely, and it's, like you said, it's hard to yeah. say. But yeah, in, infection probably, uh, probably. Kills a lot more than, than people realize, especially if get injured fighting with one another. That's right. Yeah, that leg shot. Me and Joey went on in Madison a couple of years ago. That deer would have died from infection. I'm pretty confident of it. He was, he was leg shot and brisket shot. So, but anyways. Craig, did, did you have a story? Uh, well, I mean, my longest recovery. Um, man, most of my long recoveries are inside 11 1200 yards i'd say i've had several around a thousand yard mark um so far as the 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 long mile uh stuff man that's where my limitations are with my dog if that deer uh doesn't pump off the right amount of pheromone for my dog he will not you know i I don't take the marginal or or the leg shots that been pushed uh that's where me as a handler i know better not to take that with my dog now i will go with the other teams um to help them secure that, you know, my dog will respond to the bay once they made the bay. But so far as actually staying on the deer or marginal hit, my dog will just, he loses interest in it. So uh, the marginal hit things are my Achilles hinting. And I'm, you know, so you won't hear me making recoveries out there at the mile mark. You know, I mean, they'll usually all be inside, you know, 1,200, 1,500 yards, man. Uh, you know, so, but uh, yeah, for me, I'd say my longest ones are around a grand to twelve hundred, somewhere around there. Okay, which I, I guess is why uh, it's important when when uh, people are giving information to uh, to give out the whole story uh, so that they can have yep. the, the best dog and handler for, yep. for the job, for that matter. That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Okay. Uh, so since tracking deer um, has it made you a, a better deer hunter? And if so, why or why not? Who get, who get, which one of y'all get? made me a worse one. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to ask which one of y'all get to deer hunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I try to hunt, but I, I, I'm usually putting other people in the woods. But uh, I would just say, I would say the awareness, uh, just know, uh, giving you better awareness in the woods of the deer habitat, and sanctuaries, knowing their escape routes, because most of these deer have a strong will to live, and I think tracking and recovering does nothing but bring your awareness and experience to a higher level of understanding that. And I don't know how that wouldn't make you a better hunter. You know, so, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, you can't define experience unless you're doing it right. So, but uh, that's, that's my opinion of it. Okay, I got you. 
And uh, for, for the final question, uh, for somebody listening that, that may be interested in, in tracking, uh, what would be some helpful tips or advice that you would, you would offer to them? Don't do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big event of drug out there. Uh, don't, don't really, really I mean, yeah. um, I'll, you know, the very, very, the easiest answer that I tell people, you know, I always refer people to that uh, John Jennings, Jenny has a book out there uh, has called Tracking Dogs for Wounded Deer. Um, you can find that. You can Google that, and it comes right up right there. You know, I would advise getting that book and reading. You know, and it gives you all different sorts. You go if you go straight to his website, which you, you can find that too by Googling. Um, it's, it's cheaper if you go to his website, Born to Track. You go to his website, Born to Track, and, and get it off there. It's cheap. But anyway, that 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 covers it all for me. Pretty much, you know, this guy's very sharp. Mm. And he's, you know, he's 80-something years old and has many, many helpful tips as far as training. I, I really, I was very impressed when I read the book about how, how to start a company. I started young, though. You know, that was, that was, that, I like, I, I, I personally, whenever, I, I've never, I never trained one just to, I, I did one, one dog that I've ever owned that I laid mock trails for and try to build an interest. The rest of them has been taking them to every deer. Listen, I always tell everybody this. Take your dog to every deer you can. Every deer that's been shot that you can. Take them to the skinny shed. Let them put on the hide. Let them lick on the blood a little bit. Cut them a little piece of meat. Mm -hmm. Give them a little piece of meat. Let them chew on the leg or something, you know. Every introduction you can to a dead deer, the better. The more the better. Yep. I agree. Exposure, exposure. Uh, I would say get with uh, it depends on your woodsmanship. You know, I mean, you need to start the you need to you know before getting into this. I mean, you need to have good woodsmanship to start off with. I mean, if you're not really an above average hunter, you're not really gonna, in my opinion, you're not gonna start off as a good tracker or a decent tracker. So starting off with good woodsmanship and just understanding of uh, the habitat, right, and then from there. Um, even if you're not a dog person, just get with a vetted handler. And, and like Jeffrey said, get there's plenty of knowledge out there in, in books and uh, and whatnot. Get you know read up, you know do that. But definitely uh, exposure for your dog. Um, you don't train, in my opinion, you don't train your dog to track. Your dog is going to do it or it's not going to do it. All right, um, it's up to you to uh, to direct those strengths and weaknesses and the directions they need to go. Uh, the only thing you need to train your dog to do, in my opinion, is obedience. That's it, man. The rest of everything else is mother nature. That dog is naturally, if he's naturally got it, he's going to be a good one. If he doesn't naturally have it, well, it's just like having a, a stubborn kid in school that doesn't want to learn, man. You know, it's just you, you're going to have to pull out every trick and you can, and they still might not be that great, you know. So, yeah, that's just my opinion, man. Just get with experienced people that can see if your dog has it or not um and and just getting with you know just surrounding yourself with experience is going to do nothing but take you in a positive direction great thank that's some helpful tips guys uh is there anything else that the interview would like to add uh that, that maybe we didn't cover or you feel that we should cover before we close here 
I'm good personally. I feel like we've covered A to Z, and uh, you know, I don't feel like we left any holes in there. To be honest with you. How about you, John? I think we co- we pretty much covered everything. Um, y'all did good. Y'all two did a good job. I'm just sitting here riding away. I'd like to just say it one more time that we are a tool in the arsenal of the, of, of, of the hunt. You know, after, after the shot is when you use us, you know, never, ever hesitate to call for a tracking dogs. We are here to help. You know, there's there's free groups. There's, I mean, you don't have to use NTG 2.0 if you don't want to. Just wherever you find help, you know, know what you're getting. And don't hesitate to use a dog if you find your view. It's natural. It's a natural occurrence in the wild for predators to find the, the weakest link, and that's what we're doing. We're here to help you put that deer on the table in your freezer instead of instead of feeding the buzzards and the coyotes. Absolutely, and I, I don't think anybody, uh, any ethical person would, would disagree with that. Uh, so... With and that, I, and I'd also like to throw in there: get to know your local people, get to know your local yeah. handlers. You know, research a little bit, get to know the people in your area, and your handlers that, that you know. I mean, there's handlers around everybody in this state. If you live in this state, so there's only some handlers around that you can get to know. You know, some some might be right down the road, you didn't even know it. You know, right? Yeah. Get to so, know the handlers in your area, build that relationship. So anybody that, that would be listening, uh, it may be, it may be a good idea to, to reach out to, to Jeffrey, uh, Craig or, or Joey and, uh, see who may be, uh, a couple of handlers in your particular zone that may be close to you, uh, just so you could have somebody in mind should, should something to happen to, to where you would need one of those dogs. Absolutely. And look, Absolutely. I, 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 I know I have many times and I'm sure I've I've gotten phone calls from hunters that I've told them, like, man, go on in there and get that deer, you know. And they, they just called to yeah. question me about something. And, and, and I've had the same thing. It's like, okay, I think you ought to back out. Let me compete. You know, right first. It, it works both ways. Any, any questions I have, any, any questions anybody has about, about about our services and what we do, and, and if they need us or not, they're always welcome to call absolutely and and with that uh for anybody who who is interested uh where where would be the best place for them to to keep up with the the group or or contact any of you uh should they want to learn more uh what what would be it uh your your most uh preferred platform for them to do so um everything goes through nose to the ground 2.0 facebook page just search that and follow that and request to join that Facebook page. When you request to join, there's a couple of questions that are going to ask you. You know, uh, one is, if, do you need a dog? Do you require yes or no? And if you do, we always ask that you please include a phone number. If you need help finding the deer, please include a phone number because it sure is hard to track you down when, you're not, when we don't have a phone number. We have Absolutely. to go through, we have to message through Facebook. And sometimes people don't get the message requests. And it's just... You know, it just takes longer for us to get you the help that you need. But that is that is the way to get us. Is, is 
just go in the search bar on Facebook and look up Most of the Ground 2.0. All righty. Well, uh, with that, I want to thank each and every one of you for, for sitting down and, and doing this with me. And uh, I also thank y'all for doing what you do as a, as a free service to people. Uh, I, I don't think that, that y'all are appreciated uh, or told that you're appreciated enough. Uh, I personally cannot wait to go on a, on a few tracks with y'all. And uh, I look forward maybe to, maybe to bringing my dog on, on one or two of them uh, for anybody listening. I, the, the whole reason I was... I was yeah. in, hey, man, you're welcome. Heck yeah. Anytime you want to come, bring him. And I, the, the reason I was better have some good, better have some good walking shoes on though. Oh yeah. I've got, I got plenty of those. Uh, the, the, the reason I, I was inspired to, to reach out, uh, was that I, I put my dog on, on her first blood trail. I guess it was two weeks ago now. And, uh, the, the deer didn't run far. It ran 60 yards from the, the shot, but, uh, it was my brother-in-law uh, who shot him and he wasn't for sure. Uh, you know, what happened uh or what you know he shot him it was like a 20 yard shot it was a frontal shot because the deer was walking up the road and uh he didn't want to take the shot but that was just a shot that the, the deer offered him and uh he was afraid he'd see him so that's the shot that he took and uh which obviously was a was a very lethal hit because the deer ran 60 yards and died of course uh but yeah he he waited on a couple people to come help on the track and i just to uh Brought my, my dog. She's a, about an 85-pound chocolate lab. Her name's Bailey. And, uh, man, she was 60 yards, 40 yards in front of everybody. She she was down the hill and, and looking at us as, as we walked up on it. So uh, that kind of got, got me the, the inspiration to kind of – because I, I knew about, you know, nose to the ground before, but I'd, I'd never uh, really followed up on it or uh, called any anybody needing a dog. So – I just figured it would be a, a great, great conversation. And, and since starting this podcast, I've, I've had, uh, made some really good, uh, met some really good people and had some really great conversations that otherwise I wouldn't have. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to kind of throw that out there. Uh, so for sure I'll, I'll, I'll be in the, the, uh, Claiborne Kapai County area. So if anybody, any of you have a have a track that comes up? I'd I'd love to receive a call and uh to to tag along on one of those. Thank you. Man. So is there is there anything else that anybody would would like to add or or say before we uh close this one out? Don't hesitate to call. Don't hesitate to call us at all. You're not bothering us. Just we can't say that enough. Don't hesitate to call. Even if you just want to see our dogs work, we don't care. Call us. Okay. All right. Well, uh, like I said, I just wanted to, to thank y'all again for, for doing this with me. I know it uh, took uh, two and three quarters hours out of y'all's time. This coming up on 830 on a Wednesday night. So I will let y'all uh, go spend time with your family and, and get something to eat. So. All right, man. Well, look, I appreciate Sounds you having good, us on. Man. Thank, you, thank you a lot. Enjoyed it. All right, well, y'all have a good night, and I appreciate it once again. Yeah. All right, Tanner. Thank you, Tanner. Nice Bye. talking to you. Yes, sir. Bye. Y'all too. Bye. Bye. And with that, we will wrap this one up. I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, or if this is your first time listening, 
I'd appreciate if you would uh, consider subscribing and, and possibly leaving a review. It really helps out the uh, the podcast uh, reach more people with the algorithm and all that sort of stuff. So uh, if you've got the time, I'd really appreciate it for you to subscribe and maybe uh, write a review. Uh, but anyway, I, I know this one was a was a bit of a longer podcast, and I want I didn't want to cut these guys short. You know, it's a it's a really honorable thing that they do, and uh, I didn't want to leave out any any parts of the story. So I hope I did a, a decent enough job uh, to display you know what it is that they do, and uh, and hopefully I, I have uh, reached a couple people who who may possibly use this service. I know uh, I definitely plan to uh, to go on a couple tracks with them this year and uh, get a better feel for it myself. So it, it's definitely something I'd be interested in to uh, to getting better at and doing with my own dog. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed it and has a good weekend. And uh, hopefully you kill a big one. So thanks for listening, guys.